there's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girl's night, we have to get our fix, and that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girls' night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's kellyskillerpopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. I might be vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoked Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and Jelly and Peanut Flavor Topping, because mm, 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 some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, so go check out smokedbros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. On this episode of the Video Archives podcast, don't look for these guys in church. Quentin and Roger take a trip with the LAPD as our boys in blue blow off steam in the choir boys. Directed by Robert Aldrich and based on the outrageous best-selling novel, this movie had issues surrounding its release. Roger and Quentin take a second look at the film, discussing Aldrich and his associates, the large-scale casting of the film, and the scenes that work. Next up, the most intensive manhunt ever mounted. It began on the 1st of November. Its object, to find Hennessy, a gentle, peaceful man who has been pushed too far and carries in his right vest pocket the power to destroy a nation. A suspense thriller based on one man's revenge, Roger and Quentin sit on the edge of their seats as they cheer for Hennessy. Go, Hennessy! Go! Run! Another Rod Steiger performance. We talk all about how the plan unfolds, the seamless documentary footage, and a surprising cameo who may just win Best Supporting Actress. And last but not least, we travel to the sea in Amphibian Man, also known as Chilevic Amphibia, a popular Russian fantasy film. In this fable, based upon the novel by Alexander Believ, a pearl diver discovers the secret behind the amphibian man and desires to exploit it. The only problem? The amphibian man has fallen in love with the pearl diver's fiance, and with each passing day, their connection grows stronger. A poignant story of love and loss, Quentin and Roger discuss the history of this popular movie, the crazy science fiction inventions of the film, and the very cool amphibian man costume. I'm your girl, Gala Avery, and joining us now, here's Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery. Thank you very much, Gala. Thanks, Gala. Welcome back to the Video Archives podcast, Kill the Bakalov. And so we're dealing with three fairly interesting movies, all right, in order for uh, for us to talk about uh, in today's episode. Let's start it off right away with uh, a movie that came out in December of 1977 by one of my favorite directors in, in almost every way 
you can be a favorite director if you're a director. Uh, Robert Aldrich and his adaptation of Joseph Wamba's book, The Choir Boys. I'm school. Sergeant Scoo's vice squad. Maybe you read about me in the bestseller, The Choir Boys, like six million other people. Now it's one crazy movie. You get yourselves hurt, I bust your arm. Waylon! The Choir Boys. You'll never see some of this stuff on television. Rated R, now playing at a theater near you. Robert Aldrich's outrageous film, The Choir Boys, with co-hit Hennessy, will be playing on spectacular 35mm film for two nights on Tuesday, March 7th and Wednesday, March 8th. 7165 Beverly Boulevard, Los Angeles, California, 90036. For more information, visit thenewbev.com. The New Beverly Cinema, always on film. Now, I saw this in 77 when it came out. I saw it with my mom and her uh, boyfriend at the time, uh, Marco, who was a really fun guy. And uh, so we saw it at the South Bay. And it was one of those uh, movies where I loved it in 77. I thought it was hysterical. I thought it was funny. I think most of the whole audience thought it was hysterical. Mm -hmm. People were just laughing their asses off. And my mom and Marco really liked it. Now, up until this point in time, I had, uh, you know, I was reading novelizations of books when they came out. And every once in a while, you'd pick up uh, a novelization, you, what you thought was a novelization. It turns out the movie was based on a real book. And now they've just printed the book with the cover of the movie on it. And that was never so good, all right? Because, oh, that's actually different. That's too different from the movie. I then didn't like that when that happened. So I tried to look out for that. Mm-hmm. The Choir Boys was the first time that I liked a movie so much that I went out to buy the book because I figured there'd just be more material in it. So you actually read the book. So I read after I saw the movie, I went out and bought the book. But this is the only time I actually read the book because I liked the movie so much. You wanted more raunchy I just behavior. wanted more. I yeah. wanted more material. Yeah. And I love the book. I've, Joseph Wamba became one of my favorite uh, novelists from that point on. I read the Black Marble after that. I never read the New Centurions, even though I've always wanted even I've had it forever and I've mm-hmm. always wanted to. Onionfield? Uh, I never read those. I saw the movies. Yeah. I saw I mean, the movies. Onionfield was like one of the books that was in, it's yeah, yeah. not just my home, but yeah, uh, growing, a lot of growing up, but it seemed like every one of my friends, their parents had And they a talked copy about the it Onionfield. a lot. Yeah. And, but I remember talking with Brett Easton Ellis. We're talking about, you know, we're the same age and we were talking about different novelists we, you know, uh, we grew up with and started reading. And I mentioned, uh, I went through a, a Joseph Wamba phase, mm-hmm. you know, as a young man, you know, like 13, 14, 15, 16. Goes, oh yeah, me too. No, I absolutely did. Oh, of course you did. Wampa was a man back then. So, what is the movie that we're talking about? Let me read the back of the box. Okay, so this, by the way, is uh, MCA uh, Universal tape. Uh, This is from, uh, not from the archive. We didn't have it at the archives. This is from the Eddie Brandt's collection. And this is one of those times where the back of the box actually does not the worst job in the world of uh, describing the contents of the movie. The raunchy... Hilarious exploits of 10 metropolitan policemen explode on screen in this fast-moving black comedy based on Joseph Wamba's best-selling novel. James Woods, Charles Durning, Louis Gossett Jr., Perry King, Randy Quaid, and Burt Young lead a group of rank-and-file policemen from the Los Angeles Police Department who look for ways to cope with the pressures of the job. Dubbed 
choir boys for their after-hour revelies. They meet for choir practice, periodic relaxation sessions at which the group gets drunk, chase women, play practical jokes, and reveals their innermost fears. Directed by Robert Aldrich, this outrageous comedy gives an eye-opening glimpse into the lives of the boys in blue who follow a simple gospel. Work hard, play harder. (laughs) Color, two hours. Rated R. Okay, that's actually not that great of a description of the movie, as per usual for these boxes. Uh, uh, but it but it lays out a couple of it does, the important it, things. It uh, does lay important out. elements to know that, which is the biggest bullet point for me that they actually nailed was that these guys are under so much stress that yeah. they have to blow off steam. Yeah, that's the idea. It is uh, Joseph Wamba, and uh, he was a Los Angeles police officer. He's taking a look at the uh, patrolman's life, the day in day out life of a boy in blue, a beat cop, a beat cop. An absolute beat cop in the car, responding to calls. You know, uh, one of the things that's interesting about the movie is it's got a gargantuan cast. It has like 15, yeah. 15 lead interesting character actors of the time and up-and-comers of the time. Uh, now, it really only follows about six of them with any kind of depth whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can tell a lot of footage was like shot and and left on the cutting room floor by Louis Gossett Jr. Uh, uh, But but it's still a huge cast of characters. And then the movie makes an attempt to follow a lot of them around. Like there's there's different harrowing things that happen. There's different black comedy things that happen. There's different uh, humor of grotesquerie. That happens. There's tragedies. There's tragedies that eventually end up happening. Yeah. Uh, and some tragedies that happen earlier on, they're played for laughs, which yeah. are the, actually the, the part of the movie that works the most. Uh, but the point being, though, of the film is these guys deal with so much. Their lives are, you know, uh, like men in war, are heightened to such a degree that they have to do some blowing off of steam. And the blowing off of steam happens at what they call choir practice, which is usually just some drunken party where they act like just complete slobs, either that they have at somebody's house or they have in MacArthur Park. Yeah, it's like weirdly in <laughs> MacArthur Park or maybe Westlake. No, it's, it's absolutely positively MacArthur, MacArthur Park. MacArthur? Yeah, it's absolutely MacArthur Park. And so the fact that rather than have it at somebody's apartment house, you would just like take over the duck pond of, of MacArthur Park. and But that's what they do. And they're, they're cops. They're able to get away with it. They, they do crazy annex and they have hookers that visit them and they play uh, pranks on each other and they play terrible they, they play really funny pranks on each other and it's just you know it's out of control mayhem but that's their way of blowing off steam which frankly isn't too dissimilar as a filmmaker it isn't too dissimilar from the way uh, a crew blows up steam sure, at the a, end, a movie at the end yeah. of at the end of a given week you know you finish you know uh, uh, you work all week long it's intense work it's, it's intense work and especially if it's on location yeah. you're away from your home you're, you're you're doing stuff and then if if it's a 5 day week or a 6 day week whatever that last day of the week is usually the crew goes to some local bar and then we go we take over the bar like a motorcycle gang and yeah. uh, and just blow off steam and people hook up and they get drunk and and uh, it all happens and it it all goes down yeah you know and we're all part of a little and, ar- not too, and not we're too all dissimilar. part of a military unit all right so we're like yeah. what happens in the bar stays in the bar we all know each other whatever we all make fun of each other we all we'll, there'll be moments where we'll all pick on somebody else just like these guys do and all coming from the same place we've all worked really really hard 
hard. They're coming from a different place. Obviously, there's life and death involved, but there may be life and death involved in our work too. But the thing about it is we're all working very, very hard towards one purpose, and we don't give ourselves a break when it comes to rolling film. So when we finally get to that done day. And movie, like you said, we are like a military operation when we make a movie, and especially if you're fighting an away battle. Mm -hmm. It's like you're in the trenches with people. And you're in combat. And so you're making these intense decisions in, in well, the like, heat of action. And then you don't see each other again for maybe a year. Yeah. Maybe five years. Yeah. And then you see that person on the street or mm-hmm. at a party or, mm-hmm. at a, or at somebody's house or something. And immediately there, there is, that separation of time goes away because you were in combat together. You're absolutely. You, you saw them every day. You, you saw them every day. Yeah, right? You had for these the, intense, for three months, intense experiences right? As together. you guys are... You know, doing some syphilis act of moving. Yeah, yeah. Sisyphus. Uh, Sisyphus. Sisyphus. Sisyphus act. Hopefully not a, yeah, a yeah, syphilis yeah, yeah, act, yeah, yeah. but because uh, <laughs> I'm sure that happens Moving well. a rock up a hill. <laughs> they both apply. Now, the thing about it is, having watched the film again recently, I think the movie's pretty terrible. I, 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 I don't really like it at all. Um, as I said earlier on, there's no director that I respect more than... Robert Aldrich. I kind of respect everything about him. I respect him as a director. I respect some of the movies he made. I respect every movie he made, even if I don't like them, I respect them because mm-hmm. he's a man who comes from a place of respect. He was a true artist and he was actually committed to two things that I think are very fascinating. One, he has easily the least egotistical possessor credit of all time. He, his movies never say a film by Robert Aldrich. It was the name of his company. The Associates and Aldrich present. Mm. That was his credit. Sometimes the Aldrich Associates, but usually the Associates and Aldrich present. I wonder he, how the DGA yeah, uh, felt he's, about that. Uh, uh, well, he could do anything he wanted at DGA. Yeah, he yeah. was the president uh, of the DGA for that's how you. That's how you do it then, I guess. But one of the things about it, though, is... Um, they asked him, okay, well, but that possessory credit. Well, who are the associates? What is that? What does that mean? <laughs> who are the associates? Well, the associates are a bunch of people that I enjoy making motion pictures with. <laughs> <laughs> they are his associates. Yeah, I am associated with them. <laughs> and it's true. It's like, you know, he has like two directors of photography. And if he's not working with this guy, he's working with this one, all right? Mm-hmm. And he has uh, these couple one of- composer. He has about like three different writers. And if he's not working with one of these three, uh, then it's a script that uh, doesn't need them. All right, he has two cinematographers. He has two different editors. Um, Robert Aldrich comes from the fine, fine, fine breed of director that is almost extinct nowadays. Yeah. That he came he came to directing from being a- uh, 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 a first assistant. Oh yeah, and he was he was the greatest first assistant director in the business, and then he came to directing on his own from being a first assistant. Now, uh, so he's organized. Yeah, so I mean, uh, Walter Hill came from uh, a career as an AD. John mm-hmm. Flynn came from a career as an AD. Joseph von Sternberg came from a career as an AD, uh, but none of them like like the way Robert Aldrich did. And, and uh, but, but he, he is the golden boy for it. And that's why how he became president of the Directors Guild, because he knows what a crew is. He knows what a crew does. He's coming from, as, as much of an artist as he is, he's coming from a crew perspective. Well, so, he, so he's a guy who can understand this story. That's super interesting because I notice a lot of his films are 
groups, like almost yeah, mobs yeah. of men, which is like you're directing, not just you're directing the background in the foreground, longest yeah. yard, groups of people. It's not your, it's not like he's comfortable directing, you know, a, cha- oh, yeah, yeah, a no. small chamber piece. Uh, oh, no, no. I mean, like uh, uh, um, uh, Lee Marvin in, in The Dirty Dozen, he's Robert Aldrich. He's a director. Yeah. Like before he can even lead them on the mission, he has to direct an entire radio play where they become allies with each other. And they're, they're not allies at all. Yeah. Yeah. And when it's working out, Oh, I love that John Cassavetes character. Like, I love that guy. You know, he's like, <laughs> did you hear them out there? We won't do this. We won't do that. We won't do this. We won't do that. He goes, there are a bunch of individuals, but now he's got them talking as a unit. <laughs> and before this, he does Twilight's Last Gleaming, yeah, which is exactly. also like a bunch of guys mm-hmm. improving, basically, going wild and crazy. Uh-huh. I mean, control, well, that's controlled like, chaos. No, that's almost that's almost the There's something about an AD the, doing that's almost, movies about controlled chaos. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which is interesting. Aldrich was never nominated for a, a Best Director Award from the Academy. He was nominated once uh, for Whatever Happened to Baby Jane from mm. the DGA, but not from um, the Academy. However, many Aldrich associates have been nominated for their respective branches by the Academy. So he takes care of his associates. Yeah. He puts them first in every way, shape, and form, even when it comes to showing off their skill. You know, he always puts them first. All right. I also dig the fact that, he, you know, that he is a man of chaos and he is a man who, you know, who embraces it. Well, he's, well, he's the epitome of the macho masculine director or the guys in charge. Like uh, when Burt Reynolds talked about him when he was making um, longest The Yard. Longest Yard, he was saying that, uh, oh, there's no other director that's more perfect to do The Longest Yard than Robert Aldridge. When he looks like a football coach or he looks like a warden. He looks like either one of them. He looks yeah. like both of them. <laughs> he looks like he could be a football coach and a warden. And like, that's who you want to deal with these football guy yeah. cats out there. That's who you want to deal with these, uh, 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 these rough ass actors playing uh, uh, killers. You know, you want a guy like that that just like demands respect, demands respect, the respect of a leader. The one thing that Aldrich has is just complete confidence in his ability to command, command the set, command the crew, command what he's going to do. That he doesn't have to take care of himself. He doesn't have to, oh, I don't want to deal with that. That could be too much of a problem. Where that is like most of the hired hands out there in Hollywood, he dives into those propellers. No, 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 no. Betty Davis and Joan Crawford together. I'm love in. Love it. Yeah, I'm in. That's going to be interesting cinema. <laughs> yeah. Every day is going to be exciting on that. I want to be, let me have part of that. Oh, hey, we just did it. We survived. Let's do another one right away. <laughs> and they sign immediately to do Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. Yeah. You know, and he wants to do it with Joan Crawford. Yeah. Not just Betty Davis. He wants to do it with both of them together. And he wants Joan Crawford as Joan Crawford and he, in full form. And he defended Joan Crawford against everybody to this day when they say that she came up with some bullshit reason why she didn't want to do the movie. So they started shooting with her and then she dropped out. Yeah. And he goes, no, 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 no. That's not the way it works. You guys are just, this is just gossip, gossip, gossip. She was making the movie. She got sick. We got paid an insurance claim. All right. If we got paid an insurance claim and she was lying, that would be fraud. She would be in jail. We would all be in jail. Okay. (laughs) She was sick. Boom. End of story. But the other thing about Robert Aldrich that's terrific is he also exists in that other small little group of directors in America of which there's 
very few, who once they had a smash hit, took the money from that smash hit and didn't just set up a deal to make the, the, the make, make a cool them. shingle for themselves. They bought a studio and what, started making movies. What studio did he buy? Aldrich Studios. Wow, that's it's amazing to find a studio for sale with your name already no, attached. No, no, he put it in. <laughs> Aldrich Studios was a soundstage. I can't remember which one it was. I can't remember if it was a Desi Lou soundstage or it, but he bought a soundstage and dubbed yeah. it Aldrich Studios. My my favorite film of Aldrich's, and not to like we're really talking about a lot of Aldrich, but is Flight uh, of the Phoenix. Th- 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 to me, when I was a boy, Flight of the Phoenix was like the boys' adventure movie mm-hmm. that. That, like, I know you're, I don't know if you're a I big don't fan love, of look, the movie. I don't I lo- just love the film. I don't, look, I don't love the movie he made. And I, there's a reason why I don't love the movie he made of it. But the story is so fucking great. Yeah, and Hardy Krueger is so good uh, in he's it. He's wonderful in it. And, like, we don't want to reveal the big surprise yeah. that happens in the third act. But that's as good a surprise as yeah. I've ever, of, of any movie I've ever seen when yeah. it comes to, you hear a piece of information that changes everything you've just watched. Yeah. That piece of information, all right, is just a blow away. And that movie does feel like somebody who's culminated a life of experience making movies under pressure situations. Yeah, no, I agree. Because with- everything in that movie could be a parable for making movies. Now, look, my pro- look, a problem to me with Aldrich as he moved into the late 60s and into the, well, especially into the 70s, but it reared its head in the 60s too. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of the problems that sinks, uh, the choir boys, is a corniness started developing in Aldrich's movies that uh, it's unfortunate that it's there because it was never there in the 50s. In the 50s, his movies were so ahead like uh, Kiss Me Deadly. Yes, is, exactly. I mean, and that's just one of them. All right, yeah. you know. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, Kiss Me Deadly, Attack, uh, World for Ransom, yeah. which is one of the great like uh, shoestring, low budget movies of the fifties. It's fantastic. Aldrich had a run of about six movies, like nobody else did in the fifties, where he was, you know, for all intensive purposes, he was Scorsese in the seventies. Yeah. And then, uh, starting in the sixties. He keeps holding on to some hammy dramatics. Not not everybody, but there's like hammy comedy and hammy dramatics that just pop its their head uh, in the films he did in the mid '60s going on. You know, like Don Siegel never came from the artistic place that Robert Aldrich did. He was able to transition himself into the '70s and not make. 60s movies that just had a 70s veneer. And part of the reason he was able to do that is because of because of his associates. He had people like Bruce Surtees and mm-hmm. Lalo Schifrin dragging him kicking and screaming into a new decade of making cinema. Uh, 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 and he had Dean Reisner as a scriptwriter dragging him into a new era of making cinema. And he had Clint Eastwood dragging him into a, a new era of making cinema. No, we're not going to make movies like it's 1962. We're mm-hmm. making movies like it's 1972. And Aldrich didn't have that. For the most part, his cinematographer, Joseph Procoli, kept him, everything looks like it's like a, a Brady Bunch street scene. Mm-hmm. All right, everything looks television. Everything looks lit for television. I mean, especially in the Choir Boys. Yeah, and, and the, but, but, that's, but that's not even especially in the Choir Boys. A lot of his 70s movies have that kind of feel. Mm-hmm. Not every single one of them, but a lot of them do. And, but it's very set bound. 
They shot everything on the Universal backlot or whatever backlot they ended up buying. Uh, and not only that, he has music by DeVoe, the guy who actually does yeah, this. Brady the, Bunch. You see, you remember from the opening of the Brady Bunch? Yeah, you know he's the guy. No, that's not DeVoe. You're doing Sanford and Son. Well, okay, that sounded more like Sanford and Son, but in my mind, I was doing an interstitial from Brady Bunch. No, it's like okay, Mike Brady goes to answer the door. Music. Oh, hi, Sam. You I, come to see Alice? Yeah, Mr. Brady, I, I came too, to see Alice. I put too much twang on my... <laughs> yeah, you were like, chaka-chaka-wawa. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, a lot of these aspects are in the choir boys. It's just, it's really corny. Crazy corny television. It's very TV. It, it plays like a pilot. Uh, it, it's for, it's also somewhat backwards in the way that things were backwards in mm-hmm. some ways in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has. Uh, it, it's trying to walk a difficult line and and be this kind of this comedy, mm-hmm. but at the same time, in trying to express what these cops are going through and how they have to let off steam, they're exploding in ways that are. Um, Almost reprehensible. Oh, but, but in, that's, in, 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 in from from a modern perspective. But no, but that's the book. All right, you know that that's actually. But in a book, you have greater subtext to understand. Well, but- that would be <laughs> Joseph Wamba's uh, 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 argument. But but the thing about you know the the book is supposed to be, hey, look, look, these are these guys, and and this is a black comedy, black macabre grist. For this entire story, probably sourced from real cops. I'm sure, almost, I'm sure almost everything is in it yeah. is, is based somewhat. There's somewhat of a truth to both each character and to each little incident. Now, a decision was made at some point in the course of the film to just keep it about the hijinks, keep it about the funny stuff, keep, keep it funny, keep it funny, keep it funny, and then that's why there's this jokey aspect to the movie. Now, the thing about it, though, is, you know, the book, while it has all this raunchy humor, there's also a serious aspect running alongside of it as well. Um, Aldra shot about four hours and 20 minutes of footage for the movie. So when they made it a two-hour movie, they literally lost half the movie. Now, this was talked about, this was talked about when the movie came out. And Aldrich said, he downplayed it. He downplayed it a, a bit. You know, like, oh, I always shoot long. And, you know, a lot of Aldrich movies are blown up to elephantine status that de- didn't quite deserve well, to be. Well, especially when you're trying to capture comedy, you're tr- trying to capture material, basically. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, well, I think it's, uh, no, but it's more about, this is dealing with a large canvas. He yeah. likes a large canvas. He wants to he wants to make an epic every fucking time out of the block. And he try, and he structures it as an epic. And sometimes he pulls it off and sometimes he doesn't. He's the king of the protracted opening credits. I mean, his opening <laughs> yeah. for something like Frisco Kid, the opening credits go on like 15 minutes. Yeah, I remember at the end of these opening credits, I turned to you and I was like, I am exhausted yeah, yeah, already. Yeah. <laughs> his opening credits can be that way. It was like da 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 or whatever. Uh, yeah, it just it never stopped. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, oh my God, I'm like... I, I, know, I know, I need to chill out a little bit before yes, we exactly. continue. No, let's see every actor in this movie's <laughs> name in a single card credit. All right, uh, so I believe that 
he did just I don't I don't believe that he was planning a four hour movie or even a three hour movie and they cut out half his movie. I think it's since it's made up of so many different incidences, he just filmed them all and, and he went, Well which which characters stand out, which ones don't, right. and then I'll emphasize that and I'll I'll juggle it the right way. I'm sure knowing Aldrich the way I do, having never met the guy, but I feel like I know him, um I'm sure he originally probably intended the movie to be two and a half hours, maybe two hours and 45 minutes, where he would have had the latitude to put in like more of the drama stuff and whatever. Anyway, the film did not do well at the market research screenings. And so it was just decided uh, they only want comedy and they don't want it when it gets too dark and where it gets too black comedy. So what you're seeing is the, is the light version of it. It's funny because some of the comedy in it, uh, for example, um, uh, James Woods, mm. like almost feels like, you know, like sitcom, like the way he, his delivery is almost mm-hmm. like, <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. way over the top. And then you've got Charles Durning, uh-huh. who is like, a, like about to explode yeah. <laughs> over, yeah, yeah. The, over the whole movie. And so it's a strange collision yeah. Of these two styles of performance coming together. And oh, and then it, we'll, it feels but then you But then you add everybody else to it. You know, uh, uh, Don Stroud. And, sure, you Don know, Stroud. And, and Perry King. Well, amongst the choir boys themselves, it's Don Stroud's movie. Yeah. All right. That was one of the things that I liked about it so much back then because I was a big Don Stroud fan. So to actually yeah, see him have a, a Don Stroud lead performance. Yeah. It's like, yeah. You, know, you know, it's like everybody had a big, you know, uh, Louis Gossett Jr. had a big role in the film. And it yeah. got cut down to nothing. All right. So it's actually kind of cool that Don Stroud's character, well, he's so important to what happens in the film. Yeah. It needs to be. But that his character uh, you know, remains such a focus and such a big ensemble that got cut down. I got to tell you, when it starts off, that whole Vietnam sequence, which is shot in like the Batman cave or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bronson just, Canyon. Bronson no, no, Canyon here in Hollywood. It starts the movie off terrible, all it's, right? It's yeah, just yeah. like, I kind of like, I, I quickly put my seatbelt on on your couch. I better buckle in for this one. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I started uh, well, real, here, realizing that it's about cops. Here's <laughs> the thing. They're all kind of given a bum rush. But the casting of the choir boys is really, really, really yeah. well done. And the characters that actually get more of a three-dimensional treatment, well, I don't know if Roscoe Rules gets a three-dimensional treatment, but it gets a lot of screen time. And Tim McIntyre is really terrific as Roscoe yeah. Rules. I mean, you really he's the most reprehensible character, but I he's but he's one of the funnest in the movies because when he's on, shit happens. Yeah. And that's an important character. When you you don't have to like him, but when he's on, stuff happens. Well, actually, like a lot of these movies, Dirty Dozen, Longest Yard, Twilight Slash Gleaming, Flight of the Phoenix, all of the characters are distinct. They're all better movies than the one we're talking about. Well, it's about true. Now. It's true. But, but this shows his strength in yeah. that he's got like these groups of people. And yet all of them are distinctly identifiable. And, fr- and frankly, as, as bad as I do actually think the direction is, I think the direction is corny and I think the, the it's way flat it, and it it's just straightforward it, it just plays like bad bad television every like they're a, even doing those tra- television transitions the, yeah, kind, oh, of, the kind of squish ter- squish wiper whatever that's yeah, called yeah these terrible television trans, uh, yeah, yeah the, the, those are terrible they, they look from like 1967 on television not even from a 70s television yeah. show uh, but Joseph Wamba's book is really good and so even when it's badly done there are some interesting cop vermissitude things that you still see in it and you still gleam in it. Now, one of the segments that actually does work, and it's the one segment that works that you realize this is how all the, all the other vignettes are supposed to play at, is the woman who wants to jump off the building. Yes. 
and Roscoe Rules and Randy Quaid go to talk her off. That scene is hysterical. That scene is so funny. That's when I kind of- It's a black comedy scene in every way, shape, and form. It's fucked up what happens, but you laugh out loud. And uh, there's not another scene that that makes you laugh out loud the way that one does. That's about as tonally perfect as to what the movie should be all All the way through. Yeah, almost every vignette needed to be at at least half as good And that's when uh, Ross, uh, Tim McIntyre, is it Tim McIntyre? Yeah, Tim McIntyre. Roscoe? Roscoe. That's when he, he is- so funny in that scene. He, it's, I mean, in fact, he's giving lines that are like repeatable, yeah, yeah. memeable lines that I, are like, uh, I'll be using. Every line, I'll be fucking, using every for line he says in the movie, all right, is 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 very quotable. I don't got all day. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you just jump? Yeah. <laughs> just Okay, you got your audience. You got everybody's eyeballs looking at you. <laughs> hey, check this out. You want to see something? Yeah, I'll show you. This. Yeah, I'll Let's show you. just, why don't we just wait and let this woman have a little time to think things out <laughs> while we wait for that? Ah, I'm not going to do that. I got time for that. <laughs> uh, that's a really funny scene. Well, I mean, it's almost like a dark, like, police academy okay, or yeah. something. Okay, but now, okay, but just understand. In 77, when I saw this, when I was- Yeah, there was no such- uh, I was like 15 or 16. I I was hysterical. I thought the whole movie was a laugh riot. I was, and I wasn't alone. The audience was laughing their asses off. So they make it a comedy. They cut it down to just comedy length for a comedy. And then uh, Joseph Wamba sees the film, sues Universal for a million (laughs) dollars. And- Okay, and to get his name taken off the screenplay credit. Wow. Okay, so now, here is a situation where, okay, his problems with the script, one, he didn't like the idea that MacArthur Park was filmed on a set and not actually at the real MacArthur Park, which is a strange... Oh, you're going to have three problems? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that was actually a fairly good set. It was actually one of the better sets in the movie. I wouldn't have known that that didn't take place in MacArthur Park if I didn't know any better. His second issue was uh, the revealing of the S&M situation of uh, Perry King's uh, officer Baxter. Mm -hmm. Uh, He thought it was sleazy, but it's in the book. It's in the book. Same story's in the book. All right. And three was uh, the triumphant ending. Okay, I can't imagine having any kind of basis for suing on any of these uh, (laughs) issues that he has. And I've heard that he won. Did he win? He got his name taken off. He didn't get a million dollars. He got his name taken off and and he effectively kicked the movie in the balls because this was all happened during the time of the movie's release. So every critic, you know, will review, say, okay, well, Joseph Wamba hates this movie and I hate it too. Wow. So he, so he effectively torpedoed its, its, its commercial chances. If you've read the book and seen the movie, without hearing his point, <laughs> you just naturally assume he has one. <laughs> Until you hear the three yeah, this, he's like, talking wait, wait about. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That's like a baseless lawsuit. This is, this is, <laughs> this is, this is crazy, all right? You know, I mean, the, uh, uh, I mean, but he did like talk show appearances. <laughs> and it's like, don't go see this movie. Wow. You know, uh, um, he, he went active. Yeah, he went active. Now, I think he's full of doo-doo because if he just didn't like the movie that came out of it, that would make sense. If he just thought it was just too juvenile, that would make sense. But he's taking a puritanical attack, line of attack 
which doesn't make sense when you write that book. And so what I think the deal is, is I think Joseph Wamba wrote a poison pen letter Mm. to his former colleagues when he wrote the book. And now that he's seen it dramatized less than sensitively Mm. and played for broad laughs, he has cold feet about the entire enterprise. He has to, he has to disown it. And he's, he's distancing himself. Yeah. Where, you know, a book is one thing, but now it's reaching a much larger audience. And I think he's got cold feet by the way he portrayed his former uh, colleagues. Well, after, after this, he went and he bought back the rights to his other books. He got the yeah. onion field and mm-hmm. then was more closely guarded. And yet- uh, well, and then James, he, James Woods is in the Onion Field, yeah, yeah. so maybe there's uh, some fruit that came from making this. Well, film. yeah, well, he came in audition for the Onion Field. Look, I'm sorry, I was in the choir, but I'm not going to hold that against you. Yeah, all right, you know, you're an actor, you're doing a job. Even the uh, um, and I don't think you have to even the happy, take your name off. Even eh? the happy ending, even the happy ending, the triumphant ending that the movie gives. Okay, look, that's the that's arguable. All right, you can make a case that that's you know shoehorned in there mm-hmm. and it doesn't belong, especially compared to the book. All right, well, I will say two things when it comes to that. I will give you uh, Aldrich's response to that, and I will give you the audience's response to that when I saw it at the theaters. The audience loved it. They applied right at the the applause moment. They totally did a big applause. The audience, the audience doesn't know what's on the cutting room floor. They queued us up. The audience applauded, and they applauded during that the, the wacky freeze frame. All right, <laughs> the, uh, the, the curtain call. Yeah, of uh, uh, Charles Durning jumping up in the air. Oh yeah, yeah, that slapping crazy. slapping uh, uh, Lou Gossett five. Don't give me five, man. Give me five. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a weird. And he's like, he jumps up in the air. Oh, he's like, he's, he's in midair. Yeah. All right, you know. Uh, um, Okay, so so that worked as far as the audience was concerned. And uh, Aldrich, well, that's just absolutely preposterous. <laughs> Guy doesn't understand how movies are made at all. Okay, look at a movie that people like. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. If that movie ended with Jack Nicholson's lobotomy, <laughs> no one would go see that goddamn picture. <laughs> well, he's right. No one was right. No, you need the big Indian to uh, uh, yeah, throw a chair the through the window. Throw yeah. the thing through the window. <laughs> runs off to freedom and now we all left the theater hey I'll see that movie again I mean ultimately this is a labor comedy you can't like leave with the man winning mm. in the end even if it's a Pyrrhic victory you have to walk away yeah and he's and he's like and that's well enough for him to end his book that way but that's just not how movies are and that's not how audiences react and and uh, I think the point is still made um you know where the book more or less ends is what seems like the ending of the movie, frankly, is uh, Robert Weber squeezing the balls of uh, of uh, Charles Durning's character, Spermway Whalen. All right. Literally? Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> Remember he says, why, why are you doing this yeah, to me? Because I, I got you by the balls. Because I got you by the balls. <laughs> Not literally. I'm yeah. using a line, your favorite line from the movie. Well, I was watching your hands as you were like- Well, so, I'm- <laughs> Squeezing. That's the way he does it in the movie. <laughs> Do you not remember? No, I remember it well. I've been dying to talk about Robert Weber okay. and how great Robert Weber is in okay, that yeah, okay, final okay, scene. Okay, okay, well, now's the time. All right, because the thing about it is, look, the movie goes on, and like I said, characters are good in it. 
But then an actor I've never liked. I never like it when he shows up in the movies because he's, he's always- He's a parody of himself usually. Yes, exactly. He's a parody of himself. He always plays the humorless prig and this, he's playing the humorless prig, but he's the most humorous For Aldrich usually. For Aldrich, exactly. <laughs> he's, For Aldrich. He's usually the same- He's usually plays He's his, one of Aldrich's like, pals. He's one of the, he's he's one one of of the associates. associates. <laughs> Robert Weber is absolutely an Aldrich associate. And he shows up in this playing the fucking dick, like police captain- and from the moment he shows up with a press conference, he is giving a performance, this high comic performance that nobody else is touching. He understands the movie completely because he, he's buddies with Aldrich. He gets, <laughs> he's what this fucking movie needed, especially if it's going the comedy route yeah. and it needed a few more like this. Only Roscoe Rules is playing at yeah. this level. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but I. I, I think after appearing in a thousand movies, Robert Weber knows he has like, has finally he has the good role. Yeah. He finally has like the good role in one of these movies. And he is so fucking funny. We were in tears watching in tears. his, watching his, uh, and what's supposed delivery. to, what's supposed to be the dramatic high point of the film when Robert Weber is like, like the all is lost moment, yeah, is busting the balls of this like twenty year veteran of uh, uh, Charles uh, Durning, Charles yeah. Durning, who's like the conscience of the movie. But it's like you know, if you don't rat out all these bastards, I want the names of every last one of them. You can just kiss that pencil in yours goodbye. <laughs> well, why are you messing with me? Because I got you by the balls and I'm squeezing. <laughs> and. The effectiveness of the scene is somewhat tempered because we're kind of on Robert Weber's <laughs> Completely. Because he's so hysterical in this character. He is so funny that at a certain point, my allegiance moved <laughs> from poor, pathetic Judas, <laughs> Charles Durning, to the guy squeezing his balls. balls. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see that guy's movie. And <laughs> He makes the comedy sequence at the end work, yeah. not Lou Gossett and Charles Durning, because it's, you're getting me. Yeah, <laughs> is so funny because we're just we're just on his side. Well, that's just it. That's what you go to the movie for is to see them do that to the man. Yeah, I mean, and he, he's playing the man. Yeah, it's 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 like a, a, a he's like a Dean Wormer character, but like he's funnier than Dean Wormer. Way funnier. He is hysterical. If Dean Wormer were the comic high point of yeah. Animal House, yeah. <laughs> He's great. I have a uh, Franklin Brenner review. Excellent. Let's hear it. Of uh, the Choir Boys. The LAPD is out of control in 1977's Choir Boys. These cops, all one-time Choir Boys who had the benefits of the church traumatized out of them in Vietnam, think they have it rough, busting hookers and hustlers. So they spend their nights doing what Choir Boys do to blow off steam. Gay bash. Lynch. And self-flagellate and BDSM dens. Well, these bozos should try being a film reviewer because it's one <laughs> tough gig as well, especially when the film I'm watching feels like it was re-edited to a different movie altogether by the vice president of marketing at the studio. But maybe that's why I let myself care about these powder kegs who we foolishly granted with lethal force. It's not their fault that they eventually explode. Hell, getting talked down by dickheads like they're Deputy Chief Riggs, played with soaring brilliance by Aldrich regular Robert Weber, would make any man eventually explode and walk off the job, as I did back in 1986 with the Winnipeg City Press. <laughs> it's an old one. Okay. <laughs> now we have 
<laughs> a very special moment in uh, Video Archives podcast history is we've just heard the Franklin uh, Browner. Uh, Browner review, and now we're going to hear the William Margold Ooh, review of his, the his, Choir Boys. His stateside uh, superior, written one might say. in <laughs> January 6th of 1978. The Choir Boys is director Robert Aldrich's latest lusty version of The Dirty Dozen. Transplanting the way men who live under pressure blow off their frustrations on each other as well as the world, from the battlefield to the streets. In between Dozen and Choir Boys, the same plot ploy worked gloriously well in the prison setting, the Longbush Yard. Aldrich has created a raunchy, painfully and predictably ugly, grotesquely humorous, supremely memorable production that ranks as one of the best films of 1977. It's a genuine pity that the Choir Boys has been cut down to a supposedly more commercial 119 minutes. While pieces of pretentious tedium, like John Cassafetti's opening night, seem to run nowhere and forever at 144 minutes. Because many of the characters in Aldrich's films are not given as much footage as they deserve. This saddens me, as even the most unattractive of them, Roscoe Rules, is somewhat of an adorable asshole. And I wouldn't mind spending another couple of hours with him and his buddies. At full length, I suspect one might be witness to a crude but totally compelling epic. <laughs> Having not read the popular novel by Joseph Wamba, who's hand-wringing over Aldrich and screenwriter's supposedly mishandling of his creation... All I can say is that I was richly entertained by the marvelously manic members of the Quabboys. Boys. There isn't a film on screen today with the consistently high-caliber set of performances that runs throughout the Quabboys. Boys. From Charles Durning as Spermware Whalen, a fat, foul, but hardly foolish old-timer, to James Woods as Harold Bloomgard, literally a square pig in a round hole. <laughs> to Robert Weber as Deputy Chief Riggs, who reeks of pomposity. To Burt Young as Sergeant Dominic Scuse, an oafish vice cop who realizes that vice is the spice of life. To Tim McIntyre, snartingly super, as Roscoe rules, a sourball whose liquid center has turned to stone. The acting is so achingly good that one wishes that they all could be given awards, much like the prizes given to the seven dwarfs. The look of the film, photographed by Joseph Riccoli, is seemingly proper. The editing and the episodic handling are natural ways to handle the adventures of many characters over the space of many days, and the film has a logbook entry quality to it. To me, the choir boys are simply a bunch of dirtier Harrys, unafraid to live because tomorrow they might have to die in the line of duty. I wouldn't want to be a policeman, but it's nice to know that beneath the badge, they're as human or as screwed up as presidents or even film reviewers. Wow. A plus. That is freaking crazy that he gave it an A plus. I mean, I've never heard him give such a glowing, <laughs> raving review. I, you've never heard an A plus given from uh, never, Bill Margold. <laughs> never. This is his kind of film. Yeah, it's same kind of film. He he really likes it. You know, uh, uh, you know, and he's actually saying the things. Uh, he's it's mentioning some of the things that we don't like about it at all. We don't like the episodic structure. We don't like the look of it. It looks like bad television. Yeah. You know, we, we but he's you know, he dug it all. He thought it was funny. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? 
they only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, and we're back, and we're joined by Gala wearing her Avery uh, hoodie. Yes, it's my um, Avery Argonaut? Astronaut? <laughs> what did you call it earlier? Well, I, I said Cosmonaut. Oh, Cosmonaut. I don't know. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Cosmonaut. <laughs> but it was kind of like, it's, it's sort it of a- It looks like my NASA shirt. It's sort of a NASA, she has a NASA shirt, and I was like, oh, well, you should have like an Avery shirt. Can I have wow. an a visual inside <laughs> joke on radio. That's so fantastic. Uh, well, you have are- to be a member of the Avery family to get the humor. <laughs> And it's visual. But you don't have to be an, a member of the Avery family to get the shirt. You can go yes, to Avery.com okay. and link to our, uh, our merch your site. Cosmo not shirt. Cosmo not. Cosmo not. Okay, I'm going to get this out of the way. The Choir Boys, I think it's like technically made well, but I just don't like this movie. I'm just going to be honest. I don't think it hit well. I don't think I'm the right person to be watching it alone <laughs> in my house. Mm-hmm. Like, I think if I'm watching it with a group of guys. It, it, it's funnier in a theater full of people in the 1970s well, is what that, you're saying. Well, that's the, same, that's the same way I feel about like National Lampoon's Vacation, like all the vacation movies. Like mm-hmm. when I watch those by myself, I don't find them funny. And then when I watch them with about like 10 to 15 teenage guys, I think they're hilarious. Are you watching these vacation movies with 10 to 15 <laughs> teenage guys? What I the hell? <laughs> And who exactly are 13 of these 12 to 15 teenage guys? Well, no, that sounds really out of context. So they're I, younger than you. No, 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 no. Sounds, I saw the movie. I saw the National Lampoon movie. Gala's teenage Wait, harem. No, no, no. Don't say that. That's terrible. Sorry, sorry. No, I saw the movie when I was at the Pepperdine Film Camp. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was right. 17. You were actually, I yes. was 17. And she I has was, a legit, uh, um, I think there's Gala's interns. <laughs> well, there is that. There is that. <laughs> so I think the movie's good. I don't think it hits well. I don't think it's funny. I don't think the funny parts are like what makes it good. But the lady jumping off the roof is the funny part. <laughs> like, let's just get that clear. And by the way, and, not- and I take her seriously as a character. I like that woman. Oh, I like her sweater. Oh, yeah. Just so everyone knows, I like her sweater. I like that actress. I like that woman in playing the character. All right. I, I, I relate- Her performance is really good. Her little like look that she gives like- like. Yeah, I related like- to her. I didn't relate to her as an extra. I didn't relate to her as a prop. I related to as her a as, a, as a human being who, who was alive yeah. for a while. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing I don't find like I don't find it funny like that they're goading her on I find it how she jumps is funny <laughs> well, well no the shot of her the leaping of her, her leaping off the building and then like it's so, like, funny the, for how realistic it looks but then all of a sudden she's doing those flips yeah 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 and it's just like flipping flipping fl- that part was like the no, some, no a real woman me. a real stunt woman jumped off a building yeah, yeah. and that's why it's good because it's yeah, a real yeah. stunt woman doing it yeah yeah I think also like maybe one of the problems is that like my introduction to the movie and to all the guys is one of these like choir boy parties. Yeah. Where it's like that girl is like, she's really upset and she's over the top. No upset. balls, Hanley. Yeah. She's like over <laughs> the top upset. But then she With goes. With reason. 
with a little bit of reason, but it's like she's over the top, and that's the comedy of it. But then she goes into the room, and then he's like creepily. Oh, hold on, no, hold on, okay, 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 hold on, okay, okay, that's the only other part that works. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the, the only, only other part. You just picked the other funny you scene. You literally picked the only <laughs> other good shot and in the whole fucking okay, wait, movie. Wait, I'm wait, glad you're bringing it up. I had forgotten. We needed to talk about it. I said too much shit about Robert Alters. I cannot not give him that scene. Let's set up the scene for the people at home in case they haven't seen it. Go for it. Okay, so. She's been in the pool. She gets pantsed. She's really pissed off about it. She goes into the room. She's going to get changed. She wants to go home. Her friend's like, okay, okay, whatever. Like, you're kind of being a party pooper. Let me go, like, tell the guys we're going to leave. We're all cops. Like, calm down. Yeah. <laughs> that was very... You sounded like the girl, eh? We're all cops. Calm down. <laughs> you know what the fucking sperm whale whaling did? And then the... Yeah, oh, so what? It's like, sperm whale. Like, he's sperm whale. He's yanked my pants off before, too. Wow, I'm fucking sick of this shit. <laughs> So she's getting, she gets undressed and she's putting on her robe and she sits down on this glass table. And as she sits down on the glass table with, yeah, with the, no the underwear Ludo on. The Ludo or the, the flounder character from Animal House uh, as a cop yes. comes in. And, but he's like crawling under the floor like panting. Okay, 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 okay. Here, now uh, okay. Quentin can take over the, 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 here. This is where Quentin, Quentin takes over. over. Okay, because the whole thing is like, you know, uh, 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 this one guy... Uh, it's a guy named Chuck Saki. If you remember, uh, uh, thank God it's Friday. He's yeah. the uh, uh, garbage man that gets sent on the, the wrong uh, uh, computer date. He's this big, chubby-looking guy. But he also has a face like a five-year-old boy at the same time. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's part of it, it, the fact that he's doing it as opposed to, say, Sperm Whale or anybody else actually makes it work yeah. to some degree. Um and like, looks, Rand, Randy Quaid might have been able to get away with it. Yeah, I don't know. But, uh, but he's know, better. No, no, it's the his, fa- his five-year-old face makes it it's work. It's the five-year-old face and the fat body that yeah. really kind of makes it work. Uh, but the thing is, he's got a crush on No Balls Hanley, which is played in the movie by uh, Barbara Rhodes, who was a uh, – I always liked her a lot in on television in the early 70s. Uh, um, late 60s, early 70s. So this is one of her last times I think she shows up in something. Uh, so he's got a crush on her. And so his partner's like, well, yeah, go get a get a look at her. She's, yeah. you know, whatever. So she's naked except for a robe and she's sitting on a glass table and she's drying her hair. So because she's drying her hair with a towel, she can't hear. And so Chuck Saki <laughs> just, he crawls up on all fours into the room. Then he sees her on the table, sees what's going on. He lies on his back. <laughs> inches under and shimmies <laughs> and it's the shimmy that's hysterical shimmies under the table this little glass coffee table thing. yeah and the thing that's also just really really funny about it is he's really really big he's got a big big body and the table isn't very big but it's just big enough <laughs> if he wiggles the right kind of way that he can fit he right can underneath yeah. the table. Okay, now, you don't have to like that scene. However, the thing about it is uh, that is one of the parts that I remember absolutely in the movie theater. And the just the, the, uh, the eye-level shot, the eye-level shot when he gets on his back and starts shimmering in. And he still has a long way to go. Like, she's going to... Across the room. Yeah, it's like she's going to turn around and see it. She's going to hear it, all right? But to watch it all play out in this big master, the audience was dying. Yeah, it's a very funny scene. I mean, it's it's the reason I'm sure Universal released the fucking film in the first place. It's an Animal House scene. It's an Animal House scene before Animal House. Animal House will come out later that year. But, like... uh, but. 
it would be the, one of the key scenes in Animal House if it was in Animal House. If Flounder did that in Animal House, it would be one of the key scenes. But also for a movie that is shot very much like like television, like, you know, master, yeah. single, single. And, you know, it's, it seems very simple. Suddenly in this scene, Aldrich starts doing cinema. That close up of his like, like mouth, like a fish suckering onto the glass of an aquarium underneath her. It's a crazy shot. That's a bad, It's yeah. a crazy ass shot. Okay, the scene for me, I find it. It goes on too long. It's uncomfortable. But <laughs> it's definitely wait, uncomfortable. No, but the part. <laughs> well, of if, it, the, if if it was filled with laughter in the room, it might not be so the, long. <laughs> the part of it that's good though is when she finally realizes and she's trying to break the table that he's under. Okay, yeah. that, that's I'll, the okay. good part in my opinion. <laughs> okay, okay, if she actually took that lamp and it actually crashed through the table. I mean, it would fuck him up for life. I mean, the, I mean, the damage it would have done to his face is shocking. Yeah. And now I know what's going to happen. Okay. But but I saw the movie twice at the theaters, and the entire theater jumped out of their seat when the lamp hits the table. Yeah, I thought Roger it was break jumped through. off the couch. Yeah. Like, oh my god! <laughs> I, I thought she was going to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> and then she gets out the golf club, and she's like trying to smash the table, and it won't smash. Yeah. And yeah. I, it's like I think that's where the comedy something. works for me in that scene. And. I, I actually like some of the serious moments in this movie. And like, I wish there were a little bit more of them to tie it all together. Like the, the I found, I find it touching when he does let go the gay kid that's been arrested. Yeah, me too. Like yeah. that's a touching moment and it does wrap back around in a fulfilling way and a fulfilling and shocking way. Yeah. yeah. I was shocked when that, I don't know if I can say it right now. Yeah, don't say it. Don't say yeah. it. But I was shocked when that happened. But it's a it's a big dramatic linchpin that the, the whole film is building towards. Yeah. And did you think that worked? Well, the, the what doesn't work about it is that I, at least I, unless I missed it, we never get to see Scusi's uh, Burt Young's um, reaction. Okay, well, forget about it, that for a second. What, do you think? Do you think the sequence itself works? I mean, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, but forget about that. I I, I find it um, staged a little clumsy. To, clumsily, to be honest, yeah, I, and yeah. it 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 feels a little clumsy and forced as it happens, and it's all meant to tie into his um, Vietnam flashback. Yeah, which, the Don Stroud character, Don Stroud character, which we we possibly have forgotten about since the first moments of the movie, and that wasn't really the strongest moment. Like I think a more effective opening Vietnam scene where we really feel viscerally uh, the kind of trauma that he's under, and then maybe. If we had kind of been reminded a little bit leading peppered. up to that, peppered a little bit with uh, the understanding that he he has a hair trigger and that he he can He's easily lose it. Like, uh, I mean, growing up in the 1970s, one of my mother's uh, boyfriends was this guy who had been to Vietnam mm -hmm. and he would every now and then snap. Mm -hmm. Something might happen. And he would snap and he would think, even though you're like in, you know, Hermosa Beach mm -hmm. in a house having dinner, he would think, you know, I'm in Vietnam. And he would say things like, the Chinese are coming over the hill. He would, <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck is going on? I'm like a little kid. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and so if we had, um, uh, been, if that had been reinforced a little bit leading up to that moment, then when that moment would have happened, I think I might have felt it a little bit more. As it happened, I was reminding myself of it in that moment. Oh, that's what's happening right now. And then it was just, frankly, staged a little clumsily. You know, I think I agree with everything you said. I think it worked a little bit more for me because I think I still like the literary idea of having all points meet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do also think that Don Stroud goes a long way to selling it. 
Oh, because no, I like because I liked Don Stroud's character, and I liked the fact that his character was all leading to like the climactic point of the movie. If it works at all, it's because of Don it's Stroud. because of Don Stroud. Absolutely. Can we also just say for a moment, like how good Burt Young is in this? And I usually actively don't like Burt Young. Uh, it's uh, not that I, uh, well, I mean I shouldn't say. Well, that, I don't but, like his laugh in there, which they think is hysterical. Oh, that little. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that, that little. Laugh but I liked. Thing he but, does. I, but I liked his character a lot. I liked his character. I liked that there was this kind of. That they showed this kind of cop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that he was, of all of them, kind of the one who had the most clear ethical compass. Well, I will say that the last thing in in, in support of the film that I have is the uh, double team of Don Stroud and Perry King together. Because one, they do look like cops. Yeah. They look like hot, sexy Especially like Don Stroud. Swinging dick cops, yeah. all right? But even Perry King, he's got that, you know, when a cop is handsome, he's handsome like well, Perry well, King. He looks like an L.A. cop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He definitely <laughs> looks like an L.A. cop. And, yeah, I don't think Perry King is that, uh, doesn't really set my world on fire. But actually, the two of the times that I actually really liked him in movies, I, I like him well enough in Lords of Flappish, and I like him well enough in uh, Mandingo. But the two times he's really good is in the TV movie Foster and Laurie with him and Dorian Hayworth, where he plays a cop, mm-hmm. and then this with Don Stroud. Because in both cases, he actually has a chemistry mm-hmm. with the other actor, yeah. and they, they look right. I could have almost watched a whole movie of Don Stroud and Perry King, you know, doing busting kind of shit. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Easily, I could have watched yeah. that movie. yeah. Um, before I wrap it up, I just have to say I hate the end credit sequence. Like I actually, oh, yeah, I yeah. actually hate it. Of them uh, all laughing. Of them all laughing, but it's like Jason from the One Armed Executioner laughing. Like I wish it was his laugh instead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I just, I, I hate that. I actually kind of like the opening credit sequence a little bit. It's kind of weird though that it's like the Germanic font, even though it's like a Vietnam War movie. But I know it's uh, more like a church font. Yeah. But just. Uh, not my not my kind of movie. Uh, okay, so I I actually rented this on iTunes and the transfer is like really soft and really beautiful. So I just have to say that. Oh, it well. was. But I picked up a MCA home video just like Quentin's from Eddie Brant's. Um, well, I didn't pick up mine from Eddie Brant's. I picked up an MCA home video for $10 flat. Excellent. This is the sound of a walking time bomb, fashioned from explosives, fuse, detonator, flesh, and blood. He is determined to commit the most awesome assassination of our time. Rod Steiger is Hennessy, the most dangerous man alive. Lee Remick is the woman who loves him. Hennessy, a fictional story so frighteningly authentic it was banned throughout the United Kingdom. Hennessy from American International, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Rod Steiger stars in Hennessy, which, along with co-hit The Choir Boys, will be playing on breathtaking 35mm film for two nights on Tuesday, March 7th and Wednesday, March 8th. 7165 Beverly Boulevard, Los Angeles, California, 90036. For more information, visit thenewbev.com. The New Beverly Cinema, always on film. And we're back. And we're here to talk about the second film on our show, which is the 1975 British thriller, Hennessy, starring our boy Rod Steiger. Right after Dirty Hands. Yeah. Lee Remick and one of my uh, favorite British actors, Richard Johnson, who, interestingly enough, wrote the story that the film is based on. Uh, and a special guest star appearance by Trevor Howard. Let me get right into it and just read the box. This is a... Thorn EMI video. However, by this point, Thorn EMI weren't calling themselves Thorn EMI. They were calling themselves HBO Canon Video. This is not a video archives tape. This is from my own collection. I think I just bought it. 
somewhere along the line. But if you were going to find this at Video Archives, you would probably find it under the British section under H. That's exactly where we would have put it. No one would ever find it there, all right? All the British films just were sucked into a hole, never know, to rent, when, all right? But when <laughs> people wanted a British film and they would go there, the, you know, you'd find movies that were like cool movies that were British films. And this would be, this is a very distinctly uh, British film. Oh, it absolutely is. But it was like, you know- It uh, captures uh, the flavor of But Ireland every once in a while, you would take some of these films that were buried in, in, in the British section, at least from the 70s, and put them in drama. And then all of a sudden, they'd rent for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to read the back of the box. Rod Steiger, Lee Rimmick, and Trevor Howard star in this taunt cat-and-mouse espionage thriller centered on a plot to bring England to its knees. Hennessy, Steiger, is an Irish demolitions expert whose wife and daughter are accidentally killed by British troops. Mad with guilt, he sets out to destroy the royal family and the entire English government by blowing up Parliament. Soon, Hennessy is being hunted by both Scotland Yard and the IRA, who fear he will irreparably hurt their cause. While the clocks tick down, he comes increasingly closer to realizing his devastating goal. Climax by brilliant intercutting of actual newsreel footage, Hennessy is a chilling tale of vengeance that will keep you on the edge of your seat from its first jolting scene to its last explosive moment. Color, running time, 103 minutes. That more or less tells the story, but not so well, frankly, to tell you the truth. The whole idea of the film is uh, Rod Steiger uh, plays a demolition expert living in Belfast named Hennessy. And, you know, his job is to blow up factories that are, are, are ready to be demolished and, you know, just a regular demolitions guy. Now, early on, you see the IRA come to him and try to get him, his brother, who's like yeah. the main bigwig uh, in the IRA, try to get him to use his services to help their cause. But he is completely nonpartisan. He's completely, I, no, 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 that's not my thing. I, I'm, I don't believe in violence. I'm, I, I'm not your guy. Just forget it. Forget it, forget it, forget it. Uh, a riot in Belfast breaks out a bunch of, uh, a bunch of young people and uh, some of the British soldiers. And in the melee, an accident happens where a British soldier gets hit by a rock or a brick or something. And as he falls to the ground, his machine gun goes off and he ends up wiping out. It's a fog of war moment. Yeah, yeah. Kind of. Yeah, he ends up like, you know, shooting a whole shitload of uh, the protesters. Almost but, without knowing it, he's been hit in the face with a brick. And so as he yeah. falls, he's just squeezing the gun trigger with blood in his eyes and just firing yeah. randomly, maybe not even knowing he's firing. Yeah, no, it's completely, you know, it's completely set up, you know, uh, a la rage as, a, as an accident that just happened. Uh, In fact, the the similarities to Rage, you know, almost no. This is there. almost this almost feels like Rage Part Two. Cool. All right, yeah. you know, just with Rod Steiger and, and instead of George C. Scott, but like those guys are almost interchangeable to some yeah, degree. They're both emotionally <laughs> on the same arc. Yeah, um, trying to get home from school, or, or, or I think they're going shopping or something. Is Hennessy's wife and child played <laughs> by a four year old Patsy Kenzie? Yeah, it was incredible to see her. Yeah. Uh, and they're shot dead. And Hennessy gets there and sees his dead wife and, and beautiful little girl just lying there dead in the uh, Belfast uh, Street. Along with about six other people who have yeah. been shot and killed. 
It's it's been a, an accidental massacre. Yeah, exactly. That is that has become a a, a, a giant political because of the life for a life policy of the ERA at the time. Yeah, it's a it's an accidental Sunday bloody Sunday. <clears throat> yeah. So when this happens, Hennessy just completely drops out of sight. No one knows where he is. What he's doing is he just disappears goes to London, and he's got one plan. He's going to get a bunch of explosives, maneuver himself into the House of Parliament on the opening day of Parliament, where, like, the Queen and the entire royal family is there. And he will be in the room, and he will blow up the Queen, the entire royal family, and pretty much all of the politicians who are sitting around him. And I have to say, he has a brilliant plan. It plays out like a how-to. That's exactly what it plays out like. I mean, it's really kind of wild because it is, uh, again, similar to rage when it comes yeah. to like a how-to. If I'm going to break down this plant, how do I do it? But this is even more detailed. Yeah. Now, when I just described that whole scenario, that might sound far-fetched. In Hennessy, it doesn't come across as that far-fetched. His, it, what I thought was going to be kind of crazy, his plan ends up being... Somewhat brilliant. It is kind of a brilliant plan. It is, and, a, and, and it allows for these twists and turns and reversals that were frankly, frankly, had blown my that like that diehard reversal. Yeah, and by the way, they don't tell you his plan. I mean, you know he's going to try to blow up the queen, but you don't know how he is attempts to accomplish this. And so the whole thing of the movie is watching step by step. Oh, oh, yeah, so and, that's what he's doing. Okay, now how in the hell is it going to yeah, get in there? Everything that seems impossible. Oh, suddenly, wait yeah. a minute. Okay, why the hell is he concentrating on this guy? Oh, I get it now. Yeah. I mean, that just like seems to keep happening uh, until he maneuvers himself. So he's like right by the queen. He's, uh, in, he's in parliament. And he, everyone in government is there. He's not just blowing up the queen. Yeah. He's blowing up the entire government. Yeah. He's taking out England. Yeah, he's taking out England. Okay, now he's got two factors that are after him. One is uh, a cop played by Richard Johnson. Inspector Hollis. Inspector Hollis, uh, who I said also, uh, came up with the story. And by the way, the screenplay, the very good screenplay was written by John Gay, who would later go on to write uh, Gandhi. Yeah. He also wrote that movie Enigma that I always liked with Martin Sheen and uh, uh, Sam Neill, I believe. But the thing is, uh, so Richard Johnson is a a Scotland Yard inspector who's specialty is busting the IRA. And he has a hatred for the IRA because they killed a bunch of his men and they know him and he knows them. And so so he's got his own thing well, he's about- He's like a British dirty Harry yeah. or violent yeah. bad lieutenant. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He has kind of a, he's not quite a bad lieutenant, you know, but he's not that great of a lieutenant. He's not, yeah. far, he's not far away from becoming a bad lieutenant yeah, no, he, no, he will be a bad lieutenant <laughs> yeah, in time. Down the road. Maybe after this movie. All right, after the events of this movie, he will be a bad yeah, lieutenant. Could... You know, but, you know, his job is to bring down the IR. He has a personal vendetta against him and they, they hate him and he hates them. You know, and so he puts two and two together and realizes this nutter Hennessy is out there and he's he's got to track him down and stop him. And so he's always like two steps behind Hennessy. Wherever Hennessy is, he gets there too late. But he's like, you know, he's getting closer, he's getting closer, and he's getting closer. Meanwhile, the IRA have put two and two together and realized what Hennessy is doing. Like, holy shit, he's going to bring down heat onto us. Yeah, he's like- we, He's going to mess up our whole thing. Yeah, it's like 1974. So they're, uh, so they're sort of like, you know, 
there actually is uh, uh, sympathy for the IRA in a lot of circles. But they go up and blow up the entire royal family and uh, all the politicians in Britain, then like the entire world will come down on the IRA. And we can't let that happen. So now they've sent a hit team led by Hennessy's brother to not just stop Hennessy, but kill him before he can do this. None of this matters to Hennessy. <laughs> At all. At all. He's just going about his plan and he's staying one step ahead of them. And whenever they almost catch him, he gets out of it in exciting ways. We had a lot of fun watching this movie. Again, we're big Rod Steiger fans here. Any movie Rod Steiger is the lead on, I'm, you know, uh, is- Dirty Hands, the movie he did right after this is- Yeah, is is absolutely worth a watch. Fantastic. This is wonderful. However, a lot of people like Rod Steiger because they like his big emoting and they like, you know, his- Yeah, skin illustrations. Yeah, yeah, they like- <laughs> They love that. They like it. They, they, you know, they like him, you know, uh, uh, acting at, at nine or 10 a lot. Okay, well, and he's an actor that can go there, like uh, Jersey Scott. He can go there. He can he can do that. But that's not all he's about, and this movie is a good example of that. He is a simmering fire on the inside, yeah. absolutely, positively on the inside. It, it, uh, he, he never has any big, huge chewing the scenery scenes, but this just shows how strong an actor is, how strong a lead he is, how, how strong a character actor he, as he is, that he keeps it all imploded inside of himself and he carries it through and you're with Hennessy every step of the way. It should also be said how brave of an actor he is because mm-hmm. you know here he is playing Hennessy, a distinctly Irish character in 1974, 1975, making a movie about the IRA and not just any movie, a very large statement about mm-hmm. the IRA. Yeah. And he's come on in and he's playing this kind of everyman character, mm-hmm. an Irish everyman character. And that's really brave yeah. for an American actor to go do that, to make that statement. I'm going to go make that statement. Well, he's so good in the movie, but there is an aspect because we like Rod Steiger Intense. Now, he's, he's intense through this whole movie, but it's, like I said, it's imploded. Yeah. Um, so you could actually be wondering, well, are we wasting Rod Steiger in this? Now, the answer, I, I would say, would be no. Part of his plan to get into, uh, I guess, the House of Commons mm-hmm. is to kidnap a member of, of parliament. And masquerade. And masquerade is him. Yeah. And uh, he does this. And when he does the whole masquerade, he shaves his head, he puts on, he creates a completely whole new look and face for himself. And that's where the Rod Steiger we know kind of comes in. It's not like he starts acting all big then either, but he literally turns himself into another person. He's also going from a very believable and very understated Irish accent and then having that character practicing doing English. Mm -hmm. Because uh, he's playing now yeah. a different character. He's playing an English Englishman. But also the look is so amazing. You can't take your eyes off it because he looks like Stalin. He looks Stalin he, or Louis C.K. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he looks so much like Louis C.K. It's not even funny. <laughs> but, okay, well, he looks like Louis C.K. in close-ups. Yes. 
But in all That's the it. wide shots, he looks like Stalin or a- Lenin, yeah. Or a pudgy, or not Stalin, but I don't mean Stalin. I meant yeah. Lenin. I meant Lenin. Lenin. Yeah. I meant Lenin. Lenin. Uh, 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 he looks like Lenin, or he looks like a, a, a pudgy Ivan the Terrible from, from yeah. the Eisenstein film. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> and, but it's such a fucking specific look, all right? And he pulls it off so great. That moment where he's kind of tied up the mm-hmm. the actual politician guy yeah. in his house, and then he's visited by the cop. Yeah, yeah. And we're given this kind of diehard moment. It absolutely Hans Gruber, McLean moment where they're together. It absolutely is a diehard moment. Richard Johnson shows up, all right, at the politician's house looking for Hennessy. Yeah. But he's never met the politician. But he looks enough like him. But he looks enough. He, he knows him from the TV and it's, stuff. But he's never met him. And he meets Rod Steiger, and he thinks he's the politician. Yeah, Rod Steiger's while like, Showtime poli- is on. Showtime's on. I'm gonna- while the politician is tied up in a chair, gagged in the other room. Yeah, that scene is awesome, man. And the fact that he gets, he then gets them to give him a police escort. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Like he actually manipulates the situation so well. He's so clever in his plan. Mm. We can't say any more about his plan. You're, you're now, right. You're we're, right. We're, I'm yeah, giving, yeah. We're, and maybe we are even giving too much away. And maybe this show in particular needs a little because of the way the events unfold. This maybe people should you know have a little bit of a warning and go out and you know do your homework. I don't think we should say any more because uh, again, part of the fun of the movies uh, is discovering what Hennessy's plan is as it goes on. In talking about Hennessy, I just want to like be upfront and let everybody know that I don't know anything about the IRA. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I am not equipped to understand the decades and decades and hundreds of thousands and thousands of years probably mm-hmm. that these two islands have been having and these and that it's a religious thing. I don't know anything about it. What I've learned from Ireland, I've learned from the movies. Uh, I was backpacking through Europe in 1987 and I kissed the Blarney Stone at Castle Blarney. Mm-hmm. Don't know if you're allowed to do that anymore, but I highly <laughs> advise you to do it because you might end up with a podcast afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> And so that's like the limit of what I know. And so watching this movie and watching how it unfolds and watching how his character goes from uh, everyman, pacifist. Not, I don't know if he's a pacifist, but he's a nonviolent, ordinary, everyday He working, does say, like, I don't believe in violence. Yeah, he's a working man mm-hmm. when suddenly faced with... Un- unspeakable tragedy. Unspeakable tragedy. The worst thing that can happen to a, to a man is to lose his family... So I guess what I'm getting at is the emotions that come out of him mm-hmm. and the the tactic that he takes is hard for me to wrap my head around. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it's not hard for me to wrap my head around. Mm-hmm. I can understand it from afar and from a distance without really fully understanding the, 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 the intricate details of mm-hmm. that entire conflict, which is, you know, Catholic Protestant. Mm-hmm. I'm with him. Yeah. The weird thing about this is, you know, I'm with him. He's um, like just how I was with George C. Scott feeling rage. His loss is so great Mm -hmm. that he wants to destroy it all. Mm -hmm. He wants to bring it all down. And And he is going to blow up fucking England, basically. And the fact that he's so methodical 
methodical about it, you can't help but admire him. All right. You, the, the me- you absolutely admire him. <laughs> you absolutely admire him. And then when suddenly you realize that the IRA who who should be for him mm-hmm. and supporting it, he's doing exactly what they should do. Now they want to stop him mm-hmm. and th- th- for here, political reasons. For political, for political well, reasons. well, and it's and I even look at it as more uh, yeah, than political l- reasons. It's money. No, it is money. It's because, business. No, no, no. It, it's it's well, bullshit. Well, and it, that's why he's doing what he's doing is because is, you guys aren't doing bullshit. You, all you're doing is continuing this this, this conflict, this hamster on this a wheel, never ending conflict. And you, you want it to stop? I demolish things. I, and the first thing he's seen demolishing is industry. Yeah, yeah, the, oh, the, yeah. The industry of old. Well he's said. taking down smokestacks. Mm-hmm. It's, he's he's wiping out the industry of old. And I think they're putting in condominiums. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so they're talking about repopulating an area, you know, uh, probably uh, yeah. p- part to do with the whole conflict between mm-hmm. the people there. They don't express this directly. They don't like, oh, this will bring the whole world on us. Well, we've we just got their, their, their hearts and minds and now we'll lose them. But you're right. The money aspect of it is the IRA was pretty much being kept afloat by Irish Americans sending donations. They just want to keep it going. All right. And like all that stuff. This is business at And this if they point. just blow up England and the Queen, all that will just, all that will stop. Yeah, and, all, the, and, the, the, entire, the entire spigot will stop. Now, it was really interesting when I was telling Roger about the movie before we watched it. I mean, like the day before I think we watched it, I was talking to him about it and I was kind of describing it. Yeah, you've been kind of talk, like we've been threatening this movie for a long time. Yeah, well, I've been but because seeing that beautiful box on the on your coffee table for weeks now. Yeah, because it's <laughs> another one of the like cool, intense Rod Steiger lead performances, yeah. you know. And we all of a sudden got a Rod Steiger theme going on here, and we <laughs> we're, we're happy with it. Uh, um, so uh, uh, when I told you about the story, I remember you saying, "Wow, that sounds really good." Except since I know he's not going to blow up the Queen. I'm already disappointed. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I mean, I don't, be clear, I don't want to blow up the queen. <laughs> I, I never would. No, I, like, I'm, I, I am like no, Rod Steiger at the beginning of this movie, an anti-violent No, man. no, no, yeah, no. <laughs> no. Having it, said that. No, it's like, well, why watch The Day of the Jackal? Because I know he's not going to kill De Gaulle, all right? Yeah, because De Gaulle lived. Frankly, the thing that you did brilliantly in Glorious Bastards well, was to actually fucking the, kill Hitler. I rewrote the book when it came to that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Hennessy. Sorry, Day of the Jackal. All right. <laughs> I went where no man had gone before. Right. <laughs> actually, there was a movie that went I'm sure. That. I'm I, sure uh, that there's been there's a few. Called, no, oh, not a few, but there was one in the during Hitler's time called uh, Hitler Dead or Alive, directed by a guy named Nick Grendel, which is- Really, Nick Grendel, yeah, uh, which yeah, is really good. Ward a name Bo- after my own heart. Ward Bond is in it. It's really good. It's, it's a it's a good movie. We could we could watch it sometime. I'd love to. <laughs> Hitler, dead or alive. <laughs> <laughs> dead, dead, please. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I understand that kind of thinking. So the uh, we, uh, we haven't even mentioned the director yet, and it's uh, Don Sharp. All yeah. right, who uh, I think his most. I mean, he's done a lot of he's done a lot of stuff. He did Bear Island with. Uh, uh, Donald Sutherland, an Alistair McLean story. But what I really remember him doing, and it was really popular when it came out, was his Robert Powell remake of Hitchcock's The 39 Steps. Yeah. And then that was really popular when that came out. That did really good. And But Don, Don Sharp is a good uh, uh, journeyman uh, um, British action director. What they do in Hennessy that's really, really neat is, you know, it's all about the first day of Parliament when everybody's there. They take footage, all right, from that first day of parliament, and they very cleverly start working little by little Rod Steiger into the footage. Yeah. And 
seamlessly. The way this movie, the way it's shot. So completely seamlessly that I do not think that they just bought, maybe once they get inside the House of Commons, but the whole progression where like, you know, the, the coach from Buckingham Palace brings the queen up and all the people lined on the street. That does not look like they bought footage from the BBC and then edited it around cleverly in the movie. That looks like the crew that shot Hennessy shot that footage. It, it sure does look like that. The, whether it was or whether it wasn't, this- I'm betting it is. The, the, the DP, Ernest Stewart, mm-hmm. matched everything. He, he, the, and the, the movie is seamless. Like, how matching it, never happens that good. It just never happens that good. It's not, it just, I've, I've seen too many movies try to do this, and you can always see the seams. It, it, yes, it, there's a grain difference. It's there's shot, a color timing difference. It's shot with the exact same film stock, it's shot with the exact same camera. The gaffers are the same gaffers. They're using the exact same light sources well, that the have, entire could, movie has been using. Well, could they have started with the documentary footage and then reverse engineered the look of the movie after they out could of have them? Done, they must have. They could have done that anytime. They could have yeah. they the the first day of Parliament could have happened during pre-production and they shot it. It could have happened two weeks after principal photography is over. Well, it could have happened right smack dab in the middle. It's just, I've seen this kind of thing before. It's never as seamless as this. Now, once they get into the House of Commons, that might not be our crew shooting. I am betting For though- For sure not. Yeah. I, but even though, even that- Well, because wasn't the- It just looks a little fuzzier. The disclaimer at the very beginning of the movie, though, says the, you know that footage was shot that uh, or f- documentary footage or I can't remember the exact wording. But well, it says that the queen is not part of this. The queen was not part of this. This footage was not intended. However, for that. okay. However, okay. the procession, maybe the procession leading up to there, that would anybody can shoot that for sure. You just have sure. to be on the sidewalk. Well, and but in in 1974, 1975, for sure that in those days they would have been using 35 millimeter also. Yeah, the, to shoot the just the state. I don't. Would have been using. I don't think that. I think BBC tele- would be for, shooting. They would be shooting. 16. Of course they would be shooting 16. It's something I'm playing on television. If they were shooting a, a a short to be played in theaters, maybe 35 millimeter, but no, that would normally be 16. You know, for a news thing. Um, you know, but anyway, it's funny to say it's kind of thrilling when our fictional characters actually enter into the real world and 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 there's no give. They just they just kind of they just go together. You know, I um I was absolutely convinced that I was going to be unsatisfied with mm-hmm. the ending of the film based on, uh, you know, like, I know what's going to happen. It's like watching Valkyrie. It's mm-hmm. yeah. crazy. It's, it's going to be unsuccessful. <laughs> <laughs> like, we know that historically. To my disbelief, even though what, what I knew didn't happen didn't happen, mm-hmm. the movie still found a way to satisfy me. I, I am completely satisfied with the ending of the movie. Yeah, it, it, it was as good as blowing up the queen. I don't it's, or only, it's as only, satisfying in a movie. Yeah. As, as yeah. a as a as a big event like that. It's crazy how satisfying it is in the climax. It's it's fun. It's just fun. Yeah. It's just fun. F U N. It's fun. Um and, and, one, and it's weird because justice has been, so, you know, our our cop guy who we're kind of rooting for, mm-hmm. but I found myself okay, rooting, I'm rooting for, for, I'm rooting for Rod to, Steiger. Yeah. I'm rooting for it, but not to stop Rod Steiger. Yeah. I want him to keep getting there like a day late and a dollar short or, <laughs> yeah. or a pound short. All right. Uh, but one of the things that was uh, really great was, was we're watching the movie 
when Hennessy was escaping, these guys who were chasing after him. And, and uh, uh, Roger's like so into the movie by this point. All of a sudden, go Hennessy, go! Go Hennessy, go! <laughs> Jump the fence! Watch out for the IRA! Look and- out for that... Fucking cop! Yeah. He's like a he's like a freaking monster coming after you, and he plays it like one. He's like this hulking, mean guy who's which, breaking all the rules and like. Which, by the way, okay, Richard Johnson is playing a complete character for him. He never plays a guy like this. He's always suave and debonair, and he's not some like you know hunched over, you like know, cigarette smoking, angry, uh, yeah, dirty suit wearing guy. He just wants like sick of the rules. Mm-hmm. You know that this IRA thing. If you could just let me at them, and he's got a personal beef with these guys. <laughs> it's a very offbeat role for him. and He's he, playing like a New York cop. Yeah, he is playing it like, yeah, he's playing it like Gene Hackman. Yeah, he's totally like- He's like a British Gene yeah. Hackman from French Connection. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly. But it's not this, just this methodical story leading up to this and that and to, to a big uh, uh, <laughs> explosive ending. <laughs> uh, there's an incredibly suspenseful sequence right smack dab in the middle of the movie where um, Hennessy's uh, one contact in London is the uh, the wife of his best friend who worked for the IRA and died. Was killed. And was in killed. In some kind of operation. Killed in some sort of, uh, uh, you know, IRA escapade. And it may have even been the one with the cop. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. Yeah. I think it was that. Now that you bring it up, I think it was. And Lee Remick doing a pretty decent Irish accent, if yeah. you ask me. Yeah. All right. Uh, um, and I think after this movie, it's like pretty, you know, only a couple movies later, she's doing The Omen. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, she must have been living in England. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, because it's like she did the Medusa touch yeah, around that time. All these British all movies, these British she's movies doing that right she's in, right, right around that time. So he's staying with her, and she's covering him, and and like you know they're they're you know they're good friends, and they they might have been more than friends, but who knows? Uh, but the situation is, uh, the IRA gets in touch with her, and they're like, "Look, we don't want to kill him." We don't want to kill him. Why would we want to do that? We just want to take him He's my brother. He's my brother. Because this is his brother coming after him. We're just going to take him back. We're just going to take him home. We're just going to take him home. So he calls and says, okay, I'm coming over. She goes, yeah, come on over. And so like the IRA guys are- Waiting for him. All there. And there's like, like three or four of them. You know, they're all, they're all camped out. There's guys outside. There's guys in the apartment. You know, about four or five people. And they're waiting for him to show up and he starts showing up. And we know they're going to execute him. They're going to kill him right then and there. Yeah, they've been given the orders by the top guy back yeah, in yeah. Ireland who's like, get rid of him. Yeah. Kill him. They're, He's too know, much and, of a liability. And his brother even like, well, okay, uh, you're for your brother or you're for Ireland, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, 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 which is, again, a comment on the IRA and this yeah. whole mentality, Yeah, you know, which is who are you, you know, what is more important to you, the cause mm-hmm. Or personal issues. And they have to choose the cause. They have to You see those other guys looking at them like, hey, what are you going to say in that moment? Well, because they've given their life to the cause and so much so so that, okay, even if they did blow up the queen and everything, maybe that might change things in Ireland, but then they'd be out of business. Yeah. Their life is the cause. And Steiger knows this. Yeah. His character knows absolutely what these guys are all about. Mm. When all these hitmen, these IRA hitmen are, are camped out there and Hennessy comes walking into the trap and we know poor Lee Remick has been duped. She doesn't know what's going on. 
It's one of the most suspenseful scenes I've seen, like, in a bit. Yeah. It was so suspenseful. It was so exciting. It was, uh, it was, it was a really terrific sequence, right smack dab in the middle of the movie. Yeah, and then they hit you hard. With and then, it, and then what happens is a fantastic action scene. I mean, I mean, fantastic and devastating at the same time. It's yeah. gnarly, and, yeah. and you know, suffice it to say, it just makes you um, realize that Hennessy is a man alone, mm-hmm. and he's his cause is not the IRA cause. Yeah, he is completely separate from yeah. all of them. He's like, you know, his world was destroyed and he's going to blow up the world. And I will say one thing before we go to our break. I think a case could be made that Queen Elizabeth might be eligible for Best Supporting Actress. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. That's all I'm going to say. But it is a pretty fucking great moment she has in the movie. I will say that. <laughs> I actually do have one thing to say about um, about Hennessy and his kind of awareness of yeah. the IRA. When they come to him and, you know, he arrives in England, they send a couple of IRA goons to, you know, kind of meet with him. And oh, come on, Hennessy, we're, we're here to take you back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they get him. They get Patrick him, Stewart being one of them. And Patrick Stewart is one of them with, with hair. Uh, no, not much. <laughs> he still has the ball plate. With more than more than normal, but it was more actually Picard. It was actually kind of cool seeing him playing a young punk. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um You look like Duvall. Yeah, actually mm-hmm. totally looked like Duvall. Mm-hmm. The, when he get, when they pull a gun on him, just to hold a gun on him, he fucking goes after them and wrestles them immediately, shoots the guy. I was a little surprised he didn't kill the other guy. Yeah, yeah. But he knows the th- the thing is Hennessy knows right away what the, what what they're about. Yeah, yeah. He knows enough about them. It's why he does, he's not with them. Yeah. He knows more than I know. Like if the IRA guys came to me and they're like, hey, come on, Roger, uh, you got to take you back to Ireland. Like this is bullshit what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I'd probably end up going with them and I'd be dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rod Steiger, on the other hand, knows to like, you know, act now. Well, okay. I think there's a little ambiguity in the film as far as, but in a good way. Whereas I think at that point in time- It's still accidental. They could have taken him back to Dublin. <laughs> I don't think those guys are necessarily there to execute him. Hadn't the edict been given already? A sort of edict had been given, but it becomes solid after he kills after, those after guys. That, after that guy's killed. They go, well, they, they pull the guy. They put- they, Pulled a gun on him to keep him calm. They weren't trying to execute him or they would have shot him then and there. Yeah. And his first response is to shoot them. <laughs> you wrestle the gun, shoot the guy dead. And we're back with Gala. Hey, Dad. Hey, Quentin. Hey. Okay, so I always forget Rod Rod Steiger. Rod <laughs> Steiger's nationality. Every time I watch a movie, I like just totally fall into his performance. Like with Dirty Hands, I actually thought because I I watched the French, I actually thought he was French. <laughs> and with this, I like totally thought that he was Irish. Yeah. I was and just when, like, when you watch Duck You Sucker, you thought he was Mexican. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I he did. Play, he plays a pretty good Mexican. But, hey, he's, <laughs> he plays a pretty good Irishman. He plays a pretty good he's Frenchman. A great, he, he's he's a great theater actor. He can play all these roles. No, Rod Steiger, 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 Steiger. Can Rod can do it all? <laughs> yes, he can. Yeah, Rod Steiger. 
Amazing. The way the gun goes off, as you guys described, is so brilliant because it's like who is at fault now for mm-hmm. the death? The person who like throws the brick is partially responsible also. So it's like both mm-hmm. the Irish and the Brits mm-hmm. are responsible for his family's death. And it's such a good way to set it up. Oh, because- I hadn't thought about that. And not that he, he necessarily knows that, but I guess maybe he does later. But uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, because he's against the conflict. No, 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 you're right. The 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 brick thrower is just as responsible, just as, responsible as the, the soldier. Gun. Yeah, yeah, and because the soldier doesn't mean to do it, the brick thrower doesn't want the soldier's gun to go off. But so it's it's just like it's a, it's a wonderful thing because like who is to blame and who is Rod Steiger to go after? And I think another guy. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm expe- waiting for Gala to have the <laughs> conspiracy. No, that British guy meant to shoot all those guys, man. <laughs> I don't buy that bullshit. Don't be so naive, Quentin. Obviously, that was planned from the very beginning to wipe out those guys. He, fact, I bet that kid throwing that brick was a fucking <laughs> br- Brit. <laughs> a plant. They waited until she walked out of the orthopedic doctor's office to throw the brick. No. I'm not going to go that crazy today. Maybe. Oh, just like, like, at, like at rage, okay? No, the pilots, hey, look at those guys down there, man. Let's try out our nerve gas. Yeah, good idea. I like how this is my accent that Quentin has given me, like the server, bro. I'm glad that's who I hey, am. Hey, look at those two dudes down there. <laughs> I think you're, like, I think I think you're so. doing me in, in the 80s. I'm doing you as your daughter. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> it's really funny because, so, uh, I don't know if everyone knows this. I don't know if you've talked about it before, but, I mean, Quentin Roger do, obviously. But after we record, we always watch a movie, and this movie had the train killer vibes to me. <laughs> yeah. Like, and people, it does. Oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. Like, it does. And I loved The Train Killer. I can't stop thinking about that movie. That's a movie we watched uh, based on a real life story about a, a, a guy bombing trains in Hungary after World War One, And it was a uh, starred uh, 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 Michael Sarazen. Yeah. And it was a really good film. It's a really good movie. And this like Hennessy and The Train Killer kind of and I guess Rage. It's like a Venn diagram. Like we're all yeah, kind of like, overlap with each other. So I, I think the train killer is a little less sympathetic than oh, Steiger no, and no, Scott. He's no, a little bit more of a sociopath. No, he's, he's like the sociopath part of this Venn diagram. Strangely, strangely enough, though, the movies start getting kind well, of they, yeah. they, they pair up. They, they, cluster, they cluster together. Yeah, and, but I mean, the movie starts kind of like, not, if not rooting for him, not describing a story about yeah. the Unabomber. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> but anyway, I like that. I just had to point out because I love that, that movie. And Patrick Stewart playing a thug hilarious to me <laughs> growing up with Picard and then all of a sudden just seeing him. I wanted like, more. He's like a Shakespearean. Yeah, I wanted more. Yeah, I, I, wish he was, I wish he was in it longer. I, I, yeah. I wish there was more Patrick Stewart. Yeah, me too. In general. <laughs> <laughs> and then my favorite part of the movie actually is when we see Lee Remick for the first time. Yeah. Because the moment that Rod Steiger walks in and Lee Remick is in her shop and she's actually telling this woman this outfit's not for you. Like, don't even bother trying it on. <laughs> and Rod Steiger walks in, he's just kind of standing there. And then she like sees him. And when they connect, it told me everything I needed to know. Yeah. It didn't tell me like they were in love or anything, but it yeah, just told yeah. me that they had like this deep connection that went back to like when they were kids yeah, or yeah. like teens or something. And that like, she would be the one person that he could go to. And it was a wonderful no, moment. No, I mean, it's almost as if the relationship that he had with her and her husband is similar to the relationship that James Coburn had in Duck You Sucker yeah. Yeah. with that other Irish guy yeah. and his girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Or they're like, like they're a threesome that do everything together. Yeah. You said it when um, you mentioned that she's all about the truth. Mm-hmm. 
like she's probably with her husband, she had been living a lie because he's not telling her what he's doing and what's going on. And so, so then he's dead. No, she has a great line about that. You Irish men, you're either on your knees praying or on your knees firing a gun. And so she's there. So she's there. You don't need to know. It's better you don't know. How many times did my husband tell me that? How many times did I hear that from my husband? And so and she's living. Right so now. she's now living a life in England yeah. of truth, yeah. where even she's telling her customer, "This won't look good on you." She's telling the truth to her own detriment, and that practically occurs in the in the moment with them, where she believes them, and then when she realizes they've lied to me, she again tries to go after truth. Wow. Yeah. Well said, Avery. To her, yeah. to her again, Woo, to her ultimate detriment. <laughs> yeah. Well said, Avery. It's really, really well said. And also, she's the one person that recognizes what Rod Steiger is doing because when he's in the kitchen, he comes like down for the first time, and she looks at him like when they first are sitting down. She said, "Like you sound just like my husband." Yeah. In that moment, and she realizes like something's wrong. He's hiding things. He's from hiding her. something. He's lying to her. And he's a gonna lie go of out. Mission is still alive. Yeah, and he's gonna go out being. He sounds just like my husband. It was a great line. But also there is this also just neat aspect about the fact that Lee Remick isn't just cool and nice in the movie. She's down. Yeah. She's going to, you know, uh, he goes, well, uh, I don't know where it's like, you're going to stay here. Okay, that's settled. Here we go. Boom. All right. You know, yeah. she is there to take care of him. She's there to help him and to get, you know, to, you know, even though she doesn't know exactly what's going on, she is a ride or die bitch. Yeah, she is yeah, ride or die. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Richard Johnson as the inspector is like so unexpectedly intense. <laughs> I was like, not like, and I love it because it's like so aggressive. And the way that he plays it is just like so, and I just, I love it. And it really balances well because Rod Steiger in this performance is giving like an incredibly sensitive performance. Yeah, in yeah, my yeah. That's well said. And it's like he's sensitive at the beginning when he's saying, I'm not down with violence, but then he's somehow still sensitive throughout the movie, even when he's planning to mm-hmm. blow up. He the never queen. physically mourns. He's not there for the for the funeral services that are for his wife, yeah. child, and the other people who were killed. He never actually outwardly, other than standing there on the street, surrounded by British army mm-hmm. and his dead family on the ground other than that moment where he's not even with them at first he, like he, he, like he runs can't up even approach them at first it, mm-hmm. it's so horrible for him that's the only moment we actually see him grieve after that he's moving forward to exact his yeah his revenge i want to call it vengeance but i'm not even sure it's, it's vengeance not, uh, uh, his, his uh, completion of the conflict yeah yeah his resolution of this Conflict. Yeah, revenge. That he is going to personally is, is bring it puny, into. It's too puny. Yeah. yeah. He is going to demolish it the way he demolishes old buildings. Mm-hmm. Also, his transformation into the other character. Yeah. It's like Mission Impossible level like transformation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it is great. so good. Like when he's like changing his contacts and how he's like listening to how the guy talks. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing performance. And also it's strangely believable like even to me as a viewer watching it when when i see the two actors side by side like the guy in the chair who's being like and when he transforms i'm like okay i would believe that well when he pulls it off like i said when he pulls it off that's when you realize why rod steiger is playing this role yeah exactly so i actually bought this on dvd but 
the day I went to go watch it, it actually became free on Amazon Prime. Oh, wow. So I watched it for free on Amazon Prime. And I also happened to pick up a VHS tape of it. It is the same box that you have not in. That pretty good. much has Richard Johnson on the cover. <laughs> I know. Richard Johnson. I love, really, I love really, the kind of line art quality yeah. of that. It's almost like comic book style. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I got mine for $13.95. A bargain at twice the price. <laughs> Honestly, I agree. Okay, and we're back for our third and final movie of uh, the episode. And this is a little classic, literally a classic, a classic gem. This is one of the most beautiful movies I've seen in recent memory. Oh, okay. and I, and, I, and the quite honestly, I think the version we saw was it was either two tone or black and white on on tape. It yeah, was, it, it was a rough transfer. Yeah, it looked but, like a two color transfer. Yeah, uh, uh, but almost that's almost why it looks so good though. At the same time, yeah. Well, I I happened to walk past Gala as she was watching the film, mm-hmm. and I quickly averted my eyes because of how clear and beautiful. Oh, really? It was <laughs> and, as and, opposed to our sinister co- cin- sinister cinema copy. Yeah. yeah, and colorful, and and so I'm going to watch this movie again probably many times over the course of my life. Okay, well, here's the deal. I actually love our version of it, but I am dying of curiosity. This is one that I'm dying of curiosity to see a Blu-ray version of or a, a full-color uh, DVD of. That would be really cool. But it, I find it hard to believe I'm going to like, like it drastically better than our sepia tone version. So the movie that we're showing today is uh, from 1961. It's the USSR Russian classic science fiction film, The Amphibian Man. Some of you, if you're Russian, you've heard of The Amphibian Man. And if you're not Russian, maybe you haven't heard of it. As an American, I heard about it because basically uh, it was a staple for years on uh, uh, local television. Basically what happened was uh, they made the movie Amphibian Man, and I guess in 61, and uh, uh, American International Pictures bought it, but they didn't release it theatrically. Instead, they uh, put out a black and white version as part of their TV package. Oh. And AIP TV, uh, their TV movie packages were very, very popular. So they sold them all over uh, the 52 states, just in different local local markets. Like a 16 millimeter? Yeah, you get like, you buy like a eight titles or 12 titles and you get the 16 millimeter prints. So you saw this on like KTLA or KCOP? Yeah, actually, yeah, Channel 9. Channel, oh, Channel 9, 9 is who owned Amphibian Man. And uh, <clears throat> KJ Channel 9 is who owned Amphibian Man uh, in Los Angeles in the early, um, late 60s, early 70s. So for a period there uh, from, uh, you know, mid 60s, well, you know, 60s, the 60s, and into the early 70s, Amphibian Man was actually in rotation quite a lot on local television because of the AIP uh, packages were very popular. So you could see Amphibian Man quite a bit, like on Saturday or Sundays in the afternoon. But when all those movie avenues started drying up at some point in the 70s and the 80s, at least the way they were, Amphibian Man disappeared. And it never showed up on television again. And in America, it never popped up on any video cassettes. And this is back before there was like a collectible market for people trying to turn this stuff over. So uh, Amphibian Man just always remained one of these things that I saw when I was six. 
what I watch with my uh, yeah. father, you know, on, on, on local <clears throat> television. Time goes on. I grow up. Uh, I go to Russia. I, I meet other Russian filmmakers. You become a spy. You come back and start becoming a film director. Uh, yes, exactly. Then- <laughs> <laughs> Just as a as a you know uh, a bogus line, you know, yeah. money laundering scheme. All right. Uh, um, <laughs> so the thing about it is, uh, from time to time, one one of my things I would do when I'm in other countries is I don't just bring up like their most famous movies by their most famous artistic directors or who the West has deemed their most worthy artistic directors because they're sick of hearing Americans talk about They that. don't want to hear you talk about Eisenstein and Pudovkin and yeah, 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 yeah. whoever else. So the thing is, I would always bring up their genre cinema. And usually I was an expert to some degree of the, at least the genre cinema that made it to the Western shores. I started bringing up to different filmmakers, uh, Amphibian Man. Have you ever seen Amphibian Man? And they go, of course they say an amphibian man. <laughs> you know about amphibian man? Well, yes, it was you know popular for a period of time on local television. Oh wow. Um well Quentin, just so you know, to ask a Russian, have you ever seen Amphibian Man? It would be like asking an American, have you ever seen The Wizard of Oz? <laughs> of course we've seen Amphibian Man. We've all seen Amphibian Man. It's one of the most popular Russian movies of all. All time. I mean, the entire country has seen the movie. The entire country knows about the film. Anyway, so I'm wa- we're watching the Sinister Cinema video of uh, which vi- looks like a box that I drew yes, for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so okay, so it, uh, Sinister Cinema doesn't have specially designed boxes for their specially designed movies. They just have their one Sinister Cinema sleeve that it is sitting uh, resting very comfortably in. Um, but the idea of the story of Amphibian Man, there's this kind of villainous character that is trying to corner the market on uh, the pearl diving. He's, he's cornering the pearl diving market. He's cornering yeah. the pearl diving market. And he's a very dynamic villain. Yeah, and he's very sexy. And he's yeah, good looking. Handsome. Yeah, he looks like a Russian Paul Newman. Uh, and not only that, he looks like Russian Paul Newman in the outrage. All right. So he looks like when Paul Newman is trying to play a rascally character. Yeah. And... Um, so he owns this boat, he, and he has all these uh, uh, pearl divers that are practically like slaves, but they're not quite, all right? And, and they're in, okay, so also, it looks obvious that the film was filmed in Cuba. Now, yeah. is it exactly supposed to be taking place in Cuba? I don't know. It could be Cuba. It could be uh, some uh, 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 fictionalized Latin American country. It's like but a, it's definitely Cuba they shot it. It's like a Johnny Quest's country that yeah. you know, might take place in Johnny Quest. It's like a Latin American country. Everybody has sombreros. Yes, but it, but it's for sure. It's for sure shot in in in, in Cuba. For, for sure, for sure. And um, like we can see streets of Cuba, of streets of Havana. Oh, what looks like to me streets of Cuba. Yeah, yeah. The the cars, the cars that are still driving around. The cars Havana. Themselves, yeah, which back then they were still kind of newish. Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, and they drive outside of the city yeah. and you see, you know, plantations yeah, and yeah. Uh, sugar cane and stuff. And like you said, everybody's always wearing some yeah. and He's trying to corner the market on these pearl divers. Meanwhile, he's also in love with the daughter of this one Indian guy who owns a boat that he's one of the boats he uses. And the daughter's going to have nothing to do with him, but he's wanted her forever. 
And uh, so there's all that tension going on. It's like on. his first mate or something. Yeah, he's, like, well, I can't tell if the- He's like the captain who runs the boat. Or, yeah, you're right. Or, think, he, yeah. or the, the guy who's like kind of in charge of running the boat and, and they've got all these crew people. Yeah, it's almost like, it's almost like yeah, the uh, uh, like the guy's right-hand man, his overseer, all right, is her father. Because the guy looks like a pirate. Yeah, yeah. And then our villain guy dresses like he's like going to a club in the 1980s. Yeah, yeah <laughs> He's got like a suit on. Well, when he's not cool dressed suit. like a pirate. Yeah, right, yeah, 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 that's yeah. true, yeah. <laughs> but the thing is that it's been reported that there's a devilfish in the ocean. And some of the uh, divers have actually seen this devilfish and, and they're scared of it. And they won't go in the water when there's the devilfishes around. And the daughter that the bad guy loves is in the ocean and she's attacked by a shark. And then this devilfish shows up and it's not a devilfish, obviously. It's amphibian man. An amphibian man fights the shark, kills the shark, and chases it away, and then ends up saving the woman. But now only the bad guy, pirate guy, who's trying to corner the market on pearls, all right, uh, he's the only one who actually sees that amphibian man is the one who saved the woman. And so he takes credit for saving the woman because he wants to get in good with her. But also he realizes, oh, hey, that's not a devil fish. That's a man. That's a man down there with gills. That's a man that can that can breathe underwater. The well, ultimate pearl diver. Well, I'm going to find that man. And I'm going to make him my slave, all right? <laughs> and he's going to be finding pearls for me 24-7. I'm going to be the richest man of the world. Ha-ha! <laughs> and then that is, uh, that's the setup of the story. And then he's you, the, the ultimate villain against communism, if you think about yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, you've got all these people who are being oppressed and and repressed and having to, like, you know, work. Yeah, and, yeah. and they're and they're finding pearls yeah, yeah, for this yeah. rich so, so, dickhead. So he finds the seventh wonder of the world, the man that can breathe in the water. <laughs> ah, I shall make him my slave! <laughs> and he shall toil under my chains as he makes me richer and richer and richer! Uh, now, it turns out what happened was uh, uh, Amphibian Man is the son of the truly great, almost like uh, this Captain Nemo-like figure in, in this uh, uh, Cuban country uh, that has a, a lair either underground or in the water or whatever that is bigger and more ostentatious than any uh, uh, Bond villain lair. It, it, it's, it's as it if, looks like a spaceship that he lives on. Yeah, yeah, it's like suddenly Wes Anderson designed his home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's got this crazy house with like that amazing, I don't know, diving bell elevator. Oh, yeah, oh, the diving bell elevator is amazing. And it, it goes up fantastic. to this Lautner style yeah, uh, amazing built, house all, up on the cliff. And it's all built inside of the, the cliffs of, you know, of an under uh, underwater cliff. Yeah, it looks yeah. like Ken Adam showed yeah, up to, to do sets. In fact, in fact, I have to say, the production design and the costumes in this movie were simply outstanding. They were outstanding. They were unreal how good they were. And the, 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 the whole deal of Amphibian Man is he was a normal boy that something happened to him somewhere along the way. I can't remember exactly the, the whole story. But somehow his lung got collapsed. And he wasn't able to get the right side of the lung or a human lung, so he got uh, the gills from a shark yeah. and put it in Amphibian Man and just like, well, I don't know if it's going to work. Let's just see. Uh, the boy's dead anyway, so let's just see. Well, not only does it work, it works amazing. And yeah. he's created a whole new type of person that doesn't exist before. And now he's 
cut up and a megalomaniac idea of I'm going to create a master race yeah. of these of these amphibian boys. A republic. Yeah, a republic. An underwater republic. An underwater republic. And 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 I'm going to rule, I'm going to rule the 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 the, de- the deep blue sea. I, I like what he tells the reporter guy, the reporter yeah, yeah. character, what, what's going on and what he's done. He's like, well, I, yeah, what you've done is simply a miracle and um, a medical uh, thing and be, being able to get somebody to breathe underwater. But this idea of republic. Uh, forming, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. It's kind of a crazy idea. You're forming. kind of bearing your lead about the whole miracle <laughs> thing you did with this cockamamie idea of conquering the sea with your zombie <laughs> army. <laughs> but, you know, but the thing about it is amphibian man is a real man. He's a young boy. He's about like 19 years old. Like a super handsome young boy. Once, so, once he takes off that amazing, like... Yeah, well, he's got a... Uh, the, the amphibian man helmet. costume is part of the reason why it works so well. And, like, you, it, it, you, they show it a lot. And the film doesn't even need as good a production design as it has because the amphibian man costume is so fantastic. Yeah, it is. It really is. Especially but, with that Quicksilver uh, uh, helmet that he has, which you were like, is that a helmet or is that his head? Well, yeah. at, at when it first begins, because as it begins, we're meant to believe this could be a creature yeah. of the Black Lagoon type situation with all these yeah. divers and everything. And you can't quite tell at first. And you can't tell at first. And you yeah. don't know what you're looking at. And then you start seeing... And by the way, the way that they shoot all the underwater stuff is incredibly well done. Yeah. It's absolutely striking and beautiful. And uh, yeah, the like the film is justly a classic. It's a it's a beautiful little fairy tale of a movie. There's a, a there's a gentleness about the whole film. There's a gentleness about the imagery while it's still being remarkable. It's also remarkably gentle. But also it it has the you know not seeing it in full color. I'm prepared to like my Sinister Cinema version slightly better. I don't know if that will be the case, but I'm prepared for it to be the case. But the simple fact that the the almost two-tone color in it, the sepia quality of it, gave it the look of hand-painted lobby cards. Yeah. It really right, did. Where you would uh, like, no, no, this lobby card was painted by hand, somewhere with a watercolor, boom, 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 painted, painted, painted all these drawings up, and then they did another one, and then they did another one, and then they did another one. This looks like if, if there was such a thing as taking watercolors and, and, and painting the frame by hand, if that such a thing could exist, you would believe that amphibian men did it. Well, the film survives whatever uh, I was going to call it degradation, but it's not that. Whatever, yeah, I would, yeah, I wouldn't whatever, use, whatever. I wouldn't, that negative of term. I, I didn't mean it to be negative. I, I know you did. What I mean, I what I mean more is like its transformation into yeah. this delivery format. This is not how it was shown in the theaters right. in Moscow. It yeah. does not. <laughs> it does not suffer at all. Weirdly, at least uh, because I was yeah. just as like. Uh, transfixed and engaged in the movie, and part of it, it like, part it of not it is, only does it not suffer, we, it seems to highlight the, the film's well, own virtues to some well, degree. At one point, like, and it wasn't even very far into the movie; it was five, ten minutes in the movie. You turned to me, and I kind of turned to you, and you said, "This is so classically shot." Yeah, it is so well, like the images, the, like one image that follows the next, that connects to the next, that connects to the next. Everything links and every, there's no extraneous stuff that's just shot and put in. Well, yeah. It's as if everything is visual information that's telling a story and the shots exist for a reason. Well, well, it's it's, It's beautifully done. You know, there is. Framed very well. There is a bad. Staged really well. There is a bad point to having a state-sponsored film division 
And there's good points about it. Sure. Okay. The bad points is, you know, it's not auteur driven. There's not all these wild little oddball movies that just kind of exist outside of the commercial plane, outside of uh, the, the studio plane. The good part is there's no such thing as a low budget, left handed, no one gives a shit kind of movie. That's Moss Films using everything to the best of their ability and with their greatest technicians and with the greatest history of Soviet filmmaking behind them, throwing all their weight behind something like Amphibian Man in a way that they would not handle uh, a science fiction story like this in 1961 in America. I mean, uh, yeah, you have to go to uh, for, uh, Forbidden Planet to find them t- trying to take a movie this seriously. And Amphibian Man, it just waxes on it. Uh, yeah, Absolutely. Uh, Forbidden Planet is juvenile. Yeah. By comparison to Amphibian Men. And Amphibian Men is juvenile. It's meant to be a... a, a it's a, a voice. Ch- of, it's an adventure. It's meant to be a children's fairy yeah, tale. Yeah, children's adventure. Yeah. And it's, but it's a beautiful children's fairy tale. Yep. And, 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 but, but the Soviet filmmaking in it, the, uh, 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 the Dutch angle yeah, the shots. Constant are, Dutch the constant Dutch angle shots. The constant, you know, looking for the most punchiest frame. Yeah. All right. Where it's, where, you know, and, and then that frame is orchestrated perfectly. They tell the entire story inside of a frame. And then actors who know how to command the space mm-hmm. within the frame, mm-hmm. like they know how to position themselves and how to play to the, the camera properly. Yeah, no, the, the actors know how to act as if they're on a, 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 a you know, a political campaign poster. Yeah. They puff their chest out in just the right way. And they, they you know, they, they take the dastardly pose or they take the heroic pose. Yeah. And it's not corny the way they do it. Not at all. You know, I should mention Moss Film yeah. on YouTube has uh, all of their movies available to watch. I'm not sure if Amphibian Man is where you saw that. But one of the nice things about Moss Film being uh, yeah. who they are is that they've released everything. So if you want to go see, you know, the two and a half hour War and Peace or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever. Two and a half hour. No, I'm sorry. I was, actually, I was actually thinking of... Uh, Oh, uh, well, Waterloo. Yeah, Waterloo. Yeah. Or or the... Uh, the Rod four, Steiger Waterloo. Yeah, the four and a half hour uh, <laughs> War and Peace. Yeah. Like... Um, uh, Sorry, gave out a chunk. Yeah, you can, you can get it all <laughs> at the Moss Film YouTube uh, mm-hmm. channel, which is... Well, that sounds like an awesome channel. It's an excellent channel. It sounds it's like an, an excellent, excellent channel. channel. They, they do it up. But also, I mean... Russia is known for its editing, and oh, the the the, the pacing of this movie. It's there right from the very beginning. You can tell that these are not just random shots that they put together, and then they they they, and they went around to finding a rhythm in the editing room. No, these shots were all shot to create this edited sequence. It's like they had Joe Dante there. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, quite literally, somebody who's like, "We need this. We need this. We need this." Everything works perfectly. Now, I was just a little boy, and I wasn't following the whole story, so I don't know exactly what the deal is. But when I watched it when I was a little boy, I thought Amphibian Man died at the end. But I'm watching this here, and he definitely does not die at the end. And I could even imagine how I could see that last scene when he comes out of the water and he's talking to the the girl. Like a tragic ending. Yeah, I could see actually me thinking that that was him dying. Right. Uh, uh, But I don't remember them all frolicking around and everything was fine. I remember – I I thought that in the version that Channel 9 used to show – during the daytime, that he died at the end. So I'm kind of curious if anyone else remembers that version or if I was wrong. And we're back. And we're joined by Gala Giggles Avery. Hello. I'm Amphibian Girl. I am the Amphibian Man. Um, so Amphibian Man, aka 
Shalevik Amphibia. Mm-hmm. I'm learning Russian right now. So Shalevik Amphibia. Shalevik, I'm Shalev. I'm going to say this so wrong. I'm going to have someone contacting me and saying, oh, like, you got to say it right. But Shalevik Amphibia. Um, I watched the Russian version, the mm-hmm. Russian language. You guys watched a dub, right? Yeah, yeah. On the. Yeah, I, we watched the, literally the version that uh, they showed on Channel 9. Yeah. yeah. But. It's on YouTube, and there are two versions on YouTube. There is the Russian, like, Russian language with no subtitles, and that has 2.8 million views mm. on YouTube. And mm. then... Because every year, Russians watch that at the, during the holidays. Mm-hmm. And then someone, <laughs> on YouTube. <laughs> on YouTube. And then someone, I wish I had the channel name written down, very graciously re-uploaded it, has way less, I think, like 10,000 views. But they have translated it via the YouTube subtitles oh. for you. With like actually really good English subtitles. Oh so I'm wow! Really thankful for so that. So that's person. the version you watched. That's the version I watched, and it's in full, beautiful, full color. Does he which... die at the end? Okay, so no, but it, <laughs> but it feels like a death. Oh okay, okay. So I wasn't no. completely wrong as a little kid to think that. You know, you're not wrong to think that because. And I'll get into that because, honestly, I love Amphibian Man. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. I just, I... Really, this is the opposite of the choir part. This is the opposite of the choir In part. every way it can be. Every, actually, it is the opposite because this is like a movie. This is my kind of movie. This it's is like, totally Gala's kind of movie. As like, we were watching them, yeah. like, okay, I, I know Gala's going to love this. It's science fiction. Gala's going to be in love with that that Amphibian Man I am. Boy. I love Amphibian Man. I mean, it's like it's science fiction. <laughs> it's romance. Okay, so it's based on a novel originally. Um, by Alexander Bilyavit. Alexander. Alexander. <laughs> Alexander. Alexander. <laughs> Alexander Belyaev. And apparently in the book, there's like this huge portion of the book all about the dolphins. Because they show one dolphin at like the very, yeah, very yeah, yeah, end. Yeah. But apparently there's like this whole thing about him and the dolphins. And like how the dolphins are like his army and stuff like that. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. I know. And I think that was cool. But they didn't obviously have any of that really in the movie. Um, I love the lead girl. Yeah, on, oh, Anastasia the, Vertinskaya. Yeah, that kind of Bjork looking. She looks like Janet Monroe and Darby O'Gill. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. She and looks, I love and Janet I Monroe. Love Janet I Monroe love Janet Monroe and Darby yeah. O'Gill and the Little People. This movie, it's just it's so fun. Okay, the shark guy. I want to call him Shark Man, Fish Man, <laughs> the Amphibian Man. He's like wearing that cool like shimmering silver. out. Yeah, no, say it, how cool it is, but like describe it. It's like that shimmering. It's like scales. Like it, he's wearing yeah, like it's a, a shark a, fin. A, and a, that, that, it's the kind of outfit that like Submariner eventually uh, adopted in the 70s. Yeah. He, he had a scaly kind of cape. It's, <laughs> it's a superhero outfit that works. Yeah. And he's got that kind of mercury yeah. helmet. Or yeah, that, yeah, you know, yeah, that, and he has yeah. the actual shark fin on his head and like the shark fin like again on his back. Yeah. Yeah. Or the shark. Yeah, that's a fin. Yeah. yeah. And then kind it. of like uh, goggles. Yeah, he has yeah, the yeah. goggles. And my favorite part of this movie, though, is all the underwater shots. Yeah, yeah. Because they're so effortlessly done. Amphibian Man is actually down there, like, swimming around and, like, effortlessly swimming around. Yeah, and then the, there's a there's a genuine poetry it's to, gorgeous. to the underwater scenes. And there's something even kind of cool about the fact that they didn't have the greatest cameras in the world. So it's not like it's crystal clear. So it doesn't have that look that everything has now when they shoot underwater. You're still, you still got to film through the shit. You still got to film yeah. through the dirt. You still got to film through the bubbles. You still got to film through all that. But they get it. And some of my favorite uh, moments are actually when um, Anastasia Vertinskaya is underwater with him. Mm-hmm. Like for the first time when she falls underwater and she's kind of being attacked by the shark and she just falls to the bottom and she's so angelic under the water. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool thinking like these are actually two actors that are acting and finding a, like a romantic connection underwater. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's really tough. 
And then when he has all like those dream sequences and like he's he closes his eyes and then all of a sudden it glitters on the screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something that only film can do with that kind of the, yeah. the lap the dissolves over each other. And it glitters on the screen. He closes his eyes and then he sees them swimming together under the water as if she was amphibian lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like really romantic. <laughs> <laughs> it is. No, it's. <laughs> I mean, it sounds funny. It's, well, like, okay, look, it's in- not my fantasy. Okay. But. It's really sweet. No, no, no. The, the I found it a lot more romantic than Shape of Water. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And also, I, I love like when after he saves her, how he's sitting on the anchor and he's like, "Hey, how are you? I was worried about you." And she starts screaming, and it's just so casual. But like, I also how- love him on the anchor. He looks like, yeah. so, "Hey, hey, how you, are you? You okay?" <laughs> and he's if, like on an anchor, <laughs> as if it's just like a normal thing. Okay, so his dad, who they because his dad lives on like this giant cliffside rock in this like really modern cool house mm-hmm. and they keep like the like you, you keep thinking they cut to a, a spaceship all yeah, right exactly. every time you see the inside of his house and the old man keeps on calling him god and i like i love that god's son is the devil fish yeah, like it's yeah, just like this yeah. like poetic thing and i all of the cool technology that they implement in the doctor's house they have the the man shaped door. Oh, the yeah, yeah, the man shaped door that that is like a, a map uh, with like the, a lagoon or something. Yeah. That yeah. and the lagoon itself is the shape of him. Like that. So yeah, I, it, yeah. it's it, it struck me when I saw it. Also, I, no, I, you immediately yeah. But I immediately go was. back. I want to see that door again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that cool ball elevator. Yeah. Oh yeah, like, the diving bell elevator. Yeah. yeah, no, the diving bell elevator is amazing. Yeah, and it's like it's done a, a stop motion and it's great stop motion. Yeah, it's so great. This is a wonderful now, miniature. One thing that you guys might not have seen because of the transfer is that when they change from scene to scene, more towards the later, like the end of the movie, I'm not sure if they do it so much in the beginning, but it fades to red. Oh wow! Oh. And like every time they come out of a sequence, it's like a red fade to the next one. Oh, wow. And it's was really interesting. That's and, interesting. I wonder why. Yeah, and I was trying to figure out, like, why. And, like, I I only started noticing it towards the end of the movie because I started picking up on it. Mm-hmm. But I wonder, like, why that was. But I, I don't know. I thought it was really cool. You know what I was struck by um, watching the movie uh, technically is I started getting Soy Cuba feelings. Oh, yeah. I am Cuba. In that the crew on that film felt like, you know, what do you want to do? Anything is possible. Well, I want the camera to, you know, go through the crowd and then go into the pool and then come out of the pool and do this and that. Okay. And the crews there did it. Yeah. And I felt that same kind of energy, that can-do energy mm-hmm. on this film. Energetic in a way that I'm not used to seeing in, you know, uh, American monster exploitation movies of the same period. Well, you, you which can't. They're, you they're cannot, not com- really comparable. They are not comparable to the Soviet science fiction classics because they're just dealing on a, just a different level. One of my favorite uh, sequences in the movie is the first time that he, after he sees her and saves her, that he says, I have to go and find her again. Because mm-hmm. the amphibian man can only survive out of water for so long. Mm-hmm. And so he braves it and he escapes from his father's house and he's like running through the city. The, and he's trying, Oh, that's one of my favorite parts of it too. And he wants to see her smile. 
That's, yeah. that's, that, that's actually when it felt the most like Soy Cuba to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With all yeah. that kind of jazz music going on. Yeah, and, and it's cool. White suit, around and, all right, yeah. getting all dirtier yeah, and dirtier and, 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 as it goes and, on, but it's like a full-on white suit. And yeah. cars going at every And they're hanging tangent. by the fountain and everything. Yeah, yeah and that's, and he's, that's he's, the he's, best part is the fountain. He's so, he's so lovely in the fountain sequence because he's just, he, he needs water and then he sees the fountain, so he jumps in the water, but he doesn't know the- The, 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 the social norms. Yeah. He doesn't know the social norms. That the he doesn't know that you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to jump in the fountain, you know? And they all, they're like laughing at him and it could have been a moment where all of a sudden he could have felt really embarrassed embarrassed about himself but instead he doesn't yeah yeah instead he actually like, helps he never child. no he, yeah. la- he laughs with everybody and, and he never gets that they're him. laughing at him yeah. and it's and you don't want him to and yeah. it's sweet that he doesn't yeah and then he like saves a child from like the fish like i think he's trying to steal a fish like yeah. a salted fish or something yeah, yeah, from yeah. the fish man not from the amphibian man but from the man selling fish the fish, mo- the fish, fish monger, monger. Yeah. Fish monger. <laughs> which by the way one thing I love in this movie is that all the villains are the fishermen yeah 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 yeah. like the, the fish well, monger maybe call it amphibian man or fisherman <laughs> seems like a good choice for the even, villain even, but, even, but even the even the fish monger even the fish monger the guy yeah, yeah. selling the fish yeah, yeah. is the villain and I love how the fish man starts handing out the he like pushes the fishmonger into the fountain and he starts handing out but the fish. But they're fish are for free. Yeah, <laughs> Every, everyone they're can have a so, fish. And, and he tells you can them, just go, go get more in the ocean. Yeah, he says there are so they're like like why are you not giving these? There's so there are so many more where these came yeah. from. Mm-hmm. And it's this whole just idea of like like hand them out. So I I, I found yeah. a, a very mm-hmm. touching moment. I just I love also that he finds the water truck to escape from them and he actually climbs inside. Oh, of the that's water so truck. awesome! That's so oh, clever. And, and you know what was great? That happened in a wide shot where he was really far away and he, as he vanished into it and yeah. we still understood exactly and what we was still happening. got it we still got the it the joke worked really well visually from yeah 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 from a distance and we left ha ha yeah. see what he, he did, did it. Oh, he's in the away. water yeah, yeah, he's in the water truck go yeah. amphibian man yeah. <laughs> now Quentin we didn't say it as much as uh, go Hennessy go alright <laughs> but it was but it was like go amphibian man yeah. go Hennessy go go Hennessy go <laughs> <laughs> Quentin brings up at the end that, like, when he saw it as a child, that he thought that Amphibian Hitman had died. And even though Amphibian Man now requires water to live, and so he has to leave his one true love and go live in the ocean, it feels like a death when Amphibian Man separates from her. It's a loss. Okay, that's that's not the ending we have. What's the ending that you guys have? Okay, the ending we have is they kind of laugh they, together. They, they they arrive and it's like, oh, at last I found you. Oh, it's great. Now we can be together. Yes, we can be. We can all be together. And then it cuts to a montage of them swimming around together and like, well, how is she able to swim wait, around wait, with wait, the amphibian wait. man? Do you, you guys have that whole prison sequence though, like where they go to prison? Prison, like they, prison they, sequence. Wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> wait that sounds wait, awesome. Is there, is there, I, how come wait, wait. I? Okay, so she marries the evil. No, yeah, we know. Okay, she marries Paul. Newman. Amphibian man tries to break her out. <laughs> yes, yes. That, okay, okay, I remember that. Yeah, amphibian man's okay. Then he kind of fails, but then her dad stabs her husband. Amphibian man is able to escape, but then the police go and they arrest amphibian man and amphibian for the man's father for the murder. Okay, and then they that, go to yeah. prison. And they're in prison, and the the jailers keep Amphibian Man in that giant tank of water. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's okay. right, because I no, did- you're com- just telling I, the movie now. Okay, right. yes, yeah, okay, okay. Saying, no, but, but I did no, comment but, on, oh, this jail has a tank for, uh, in no, case they catch when, an Amphibian Man. But when, but when they put Amphibian Man in the tank, when he gets out, his dad is like, I'm so sorry, because now you can only breathe water. Mm-hmm. 
And so now you can't live on land. And Amphibian Man starts dying when they're driving. Oh. And then they take him to the ocean and they put his gills back in. And then they're like, breathe, Amphibian Man, breathe. And then he comes back to life. And then he like says goodbye to them. Wow. Oh, wow. That's not how it ends. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to rewatch to like double check that I was No, 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 no. You're no. obviously right. All right. No, you just described us the whole no, movie. No, because and right, we yeah. watched a TV version, which may have been yeah, shorter for television. Yeah, shorter and everything. But the thing is, uh, but no, they gave it a happy ending. Okay. Well, I was going to say the reason why for me it's so bittersweet and nice is because Amphibian Man through the entire movie knows that the journalist is in love. With the main girl. Mm. Because they're childhood I friends. hated the fucking journalist. I don't like him either, but Amphibian Man is like a rock solid dude. I generally- he like identifies- No, actually, okay. They actually have a line in the dub version where he's like, well, what about this guy? <laughs> yeah. She, well, what about him? Well, he's your boyfriend, obviously, so when's he not around? All right? That's what- <laughs> <laughs> is that when? Is that when they're like at the dance? Oh, yeah, he's trying to get a- Yeah, exactly. He's like, well, when can I see you again? That's so funny because in the subtitle version- the uh well he's obviously your boyfriend so when i no, want to be he says no, in the subtitle version it said like oh i see how he smiles at you i'll come find you when you're alone right okay no, no. in the english version <laughs> i love this yeah this he's like awesome. yeah in the english version he's like okay okay so uh uh what about that guy and she goes, well, what do you have to worry about him for? Well, he's obviously your boyfriend. So when is he not around so we can see each other? <laughs> <laughs> okay, now let me ask you a question. Okay, is there an Amphibian Man song that they play again and again and again? Or is it just... Uh, the, they, there is... Well, there's that piece of music. That, whoa, whoa. <laughs> no, but there is like the one with the woman singing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They do play that. They play that, I think, several times. But okay, they, okay. But they do, okay, they don't in the American version. I. Uh, uh, they, play, uh, they play it at least once. There's like one really long sequence. And then... Is she singing about Amphibian Man? Yeah, she's singing about Amphibian. Okay, okay, okay. So the only song sequence is that one song sequence that we see, and it's in Russian, so we don't know what they're singing. <laughs> I can't wait until Josh puts in the Amphibian Man song, like, right here, like, yeah. right now. Like, let's sing it. No, well, Let's all listen to it for a moment. The account where you can find Amphibian Man with English subtitles is called Varna Hello Y'all. All one word, that's V-A-R-N-A-H-E-L-L-O-Y-A-L-L. I wanted to shout out this account because she's the one who did the translation and subtitles, and I really appreciated having them because we all know how much of a disaster auto-generated English subtitles can be during a movie like my Sonny and Jed fiasco. I actually picked up a VHS of it from... Anophibium, it's a Russian pal tape mm. because just the beautiful poster of um, Anastasia Bertinskaya in blue was mm. just too beautiful oh, to pass awesome. Is that on the box art? It is on the box art mm. for $50. Worth every ruble. To me, it is. <laughs> well, I'll buy the poster for $50. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and we're back. Hey, let's give out some awards. Great idea. Great idea. So, we'll start with Gala. Best film. Oh, best film. Oh, God, why do you have to do this to me, Quentin? Why? Well, I know it's not the choir boys. <laughs> um, you know, I'm going to give it to the Amphibian Man. Because even though I love Hennessy and I love Rod Steiger, <laughs> he can still win Best Actor in my heart. But the Amphibian Man was like a really nice surprise. I kind of thought I was going to go in and just see like a murky monster movie. And instead, I found a really touching love story. Yeah, listen, I love Hennessy, but I'm going to say that Amphibian Man is for all audiences. And 
based on almost that alone and that it excels at doing so, um, I'm going to throw my eggs into the amphibian man basket. Um, well, if we're talking about Hennessy versus amphibian man, okay. Amphibian I, think that, man, I think that is what we're, that talking, is what about. we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, choir boys, you're out. Uh, I think Amphibian Man is definitely the timeless classic of, yes. of, of, of the bunch. But simply because it has been so well represented, if I was with a bunch of heathens, all right, <laughs> that don't know their ass from a hole in the ground, then I might be choosing Amphibian Man just to shove it up their, down their throats. <laughs> but since that's not the case, and I, uh, I, I respect where you guys are coming from, from Amphibian Man, I'm going to make a stand for wonderful journeyman filmmaking done at expert level. And that's in the what, case of Hennessy. And that's right. what it is. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? There is. No one here is going to complain that no. Hennessy's getting a vote. Hennessy and how it stuck with us and how mm. it stayed with us and how it's almost festered within us yeah. um, earlier. And since we've watched it. No, no, uh, no. It's uh, been. Hennessy has grown exponentially from the time that we've seen it. Yeah. And also, I think they're both movies you can watch over and over and over again and still have a really good time. I think that's definitely the case with Amphibian Man. If you're a kid, you're probably yeah. going to see Amphibian Man as many times as you've seen Frozen or whatever. Yeah. You know? yeah. Dare I say best actor? Oh. <laughs> Only because you want to hear me say his name, Rod Steiger. <laughs> yeah, it, it's Rod Steiger. Rod Steiger. Yeah, I mean, Rod our man if, Rod. If, when Rod Steiger is on, you know, one of our episodes, it's very it's likely, his to lose. It's his to lose. Like yeah, Palas, it's yeah. his to lose. Yeah. Yeah, what can you, what can you do against the great? <laughs> right on. <laughs> okay. How but, about supporting actor? Is there a supporting actor? Okay. Well, I have well, yes, there is yes. a supporting actor. Because to me. I'm going to Choir Boy. Oh, yeah, no, I, I got it. Uh, it's yeah. Robert Weber, baby. It's Robert Weber. I like, got you by the balls. Because I got you by the and balls. Squeeze and I'm squeezing. Squeeze it. <laughs> if you got everything, what do you need me? Because I got you by the balls. And I'm squeezing. <laughs> <laughs> if only Rod Steiger had been there to deliver that. <laughs> he wouldn't have done it as good as Robert you're Weber. You're right. You're right. And that's A why. A 30 year career is yeah. the, the. I finally got the good line. Yeah, and I finally. I'm, I'm every man. He's limp dick, and now here I am, and I've got the squeeze of your balls like, and I'm squeezing Charles Durning's fucking balls. Those are big balls to squeeze. Yeah, I haven't liked him as much <laughs> since, I mean, maybe SOB was uh, yeah, the yeah. other movie of, that he's in that I that really love. And he's also, he's in. disgusting in SOB. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's kind of a very similar vein. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't have his uh, his name, but I like the the husband, the evil husband, yeah, Pearl know, Diver he in be, The Amphibian. He name. would be, the, the Paul Newman guy yeah he would be absolute if it wasn't if it wasn't for the true late career greatness yeah. of aldrich vet <laughs> bob weber yeah <laughs> and also just the fun of watching an actor that i can't stand be terrific and then actually have that moment uh the paul newman guy from yeah. amphibian man would, would whatever your, his name is paul newman guy okay uh best Actress. I can't remember her name. Lee Rimmick. Yeah, there you go. Lee Rimmick. Both of you pick Lee Rimmick? Yes, okay. Um, Even though I could pick Anastasia Vernitskaya because I think she's really beautiful. And in Russian, her voice is like really like, it's a little bird singing to mm -hmm. me. Lee Rimmick brings a really touching character. I'm going to go with, uh, what's her last name? Anastasia? Her name is Anastasia Vertinskaya. Vertinskaya. I'm going to go with Anastasia Vertinskaya. I think she's beautiful in the film. 
she's so kind of perfect in the movie. It's one of those things that I'm going to remember her forever, but I'll always remember her for playing this character. Yeah. Now, the thing about, uh, but I did like Lee Remick in it. I liked, um, I liked her Irish accent because it didn't seem like she, she didn't work it to death. All right, but it was just functional, but in a but in a, a pro, yeah, in an acting pro kind of she way. She sold it. Yeah, she sold, she sold it. it. And even her whole the whole downness of her whole character, I thought was really kind of interesting for her. Mm-hmm. And uh, but you know, but that's also one of those things where it's like, I kind of think that's the character. I think you guys were responding to the character. Well, you're you're more right. Than, yeah, you're right. More but than I'm, her performance. I'm, you're right. Not, but the, she's she's fine in it. <laughs> I'm responding to how well she sells her character. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'll go for that. I'll definitely go for that. I'll go for that. Okay, so... Uh, how, how about supporting actress? Okay. Because there is only no one balls. in my mind. Okay, to me... Um, go ahead and say it. I think Queen Elizabeth. Yes, <laughs> that's actress. the one. House for of Windsor. Say, yeah. <laughs> for the best reaction shot of all time. Yes. It's yes. not an animal reaction shot. It's the queen reaction shot. Yeah, the queen reaction shot wins her best supporting actress. And, you know, and the thing about it is, I'm not even trying to be funny by saying that. It's a testament to the movie that they make the queen a character. She becomes a character by the final part of the film. She's an actual character. And the editing on that is so good because the edit that, that reaction shot is actually what sells the gag in Hennessy. It sells the whole damn thing. And they're selling the whole thing. But when they do that, then it's just locked, sold. Yeah. yeah. Lock, stock, and barrel. I'll go, y'all go with the queen. <laughs> oh, I, I am choosing Elizabeth II as well. Okay. <laughs> God, rest her soul. All right. Uh, May she rest in peace. Yes. My, my queen. As a servant of the crown. Yes, as, I, a, as the two servants of the crown at the table here. Yeah. Uh, director. Okay, so this this is this is actually tough for me. Yeah, this is tough. Because I think Hennessy is done with such a deft hand. But um, I'm compelled to uh, to give it to um, Vladimir Chebotaryov and Gennady Kazansky. Gennady Kazansky and Vladimir Chebotaryov. Look at you, like, whipping there out you those. Go. Uh, I gotta... But the fact of the matter is these directors captured in every single shot a, a, a beautiful frame and dynamic movement. There was only one clumsy moment of stage lines mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that that seemed. Yeah. It, it was just one moment where I was like, wow, I've been watching somebody who's really at command. And then suddenly yeah. there were all these stage lines getting crossed and it felt mm-hmm. clumsy. Just to, the briefest of moments. So it's one of these two was uh, on off point that day. I'm going to go with Don Sharp because. I think the success of the film really kind of sits in his lap. It does. As opposed to uh, the entire apparatus of Soviet filmmaking. Behind uh, him. Uh, behind him. Yeah. In, in fact, one might say that he has uh, the government against him <laughs> yeah. making his movie. That's so funny. One could say that. One <laughs> yeah. could say that. One could definitely say that. So you've got a government-backed movie yeah, yeah. and a kind of anti-government movie. Okay. <laughs> not, again, I'm just, but I always have to preface it, not that Hennessy is going to be a movie like Amphibian Man that for a billion people uh, is a seminal classic that will live on for their lives and their children's lives and their children's children's lives, okay, which is what Amphibian Man is. Yeah. What Amphibian Man means in Russia cannot be overestimated. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go with Don Sharp or Hennessy also, because I, the movie relies also on, like, the tightening of the rope and just, I don't know, I think he, I think he nails it. Like, yeah. without his directorial 
stamp and fingerprint on it, I don't think it would have succeeded as it, a movie. Even the idea that one of the most suspenseful sequences is when the IRA has set a trap for him in the middle of the movie. Now, we know the traps can't work because you've got to get him to Buckingham Palace. Mm-hmm. And it was still one of the most suspenseful scenes that we've seen in a yeah. long time. Yeah. <laughs> oh God! Now I'm thinking, of, I'm thinking of Arch Tiger like putting on like his makeup uh, yeah. and his hair and like doing the whole Mission Impossible thing. I'm getting like goosebumps from it again. And then when after it was all over, that was when Roger, go Hennessy, go, go Hennessy, go, go Hennessy. <laughs> okay, here's the hardest one: editing. Oh, because they both rely on yeah. editing. Yeah, I think it has to be Hennessy just because and- those reaction shots are edited in so well, and just the footage and like the documentary style of it is just it's. I think it's edited just so well. Uh, Nevertheless, Amphibia Man is cut from the cloth of Soviet film editing. It's yeah. one of the reasons why it yeah. works. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If any, every montage is set in place. Yeah, one could say they. No one understands editing or montage better than mm-hmm. uh, the Soviets. Mm-hmm. Better than Pudovkin, mm-hmm. who, who probably was teaching uh, <laughs> yeah. these guys at school. Yeah. <laughs> I still go with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to make a case, Sarah, but I have to make the case. I have to because that's a good case. That's a case that worth making. That is a good case, but Hennessy. Hennessy. <laughs> but Roger, you haven't chosen yet for editing. Um. Okay. So. Hennessy. You know what? Amphibian Man has such um, elegant, crafted pacing, and it feels as though all of the shots are like panels out of mm-hmm. you know a tailspin tommy comic yeah, or yeah. comic strip yeah it just and you made the point not a comic book a comic strip it specifically looked like a comic strip yeah, to yeah. me and like uh you know like a like, modesty blaze comic strip where exactly. they tell a long story over the course exactly. of exactly uh, and the way months. and and the kind of pacing where it just felt like every single shot was a frame that was linked like a chain boom 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 and you're just watching mm-hmm. this great story unfold they're like pages that you're mm-hmm. turning yeah, yeah literally and i was evenly turning pages as i was watching it <laughs> now having said that hennessy has a harder job yeah because it has to tighten the rope to the end you know at the end That's in a, a much more difficult way in a much more str- it has to be a st- much more stressful yeah in, in fact if amphibian man has a problem is that it doesn't get tighter as at, uh, at as, end, as yeah. it gets to a yeah. third act yeah and but hennessy on the other hand is just incredibly deft. Yeah. And plus it's interweaving actual footage, you know, uh, real footage with their shot footage. It's, uh, it's just elegant. Okay. So the award goes to Eric Boyd Perkins, uh, the editor of Hennessy. What about art direction? Oh, that's gotta be amphibian man. Yeah. That's, that's for sure. Amphibian man. And I actually even wrote down it's, uh, it's definitely not the choir boys. Yulitko <laughs> and Tamara Vasikovkaya. Costume. I mean, I also, I, I have to go with uh, uh, Amphibian Man on yeah. costumes. Well, because, well, not just because of Amphibian Man. Uh, the, the clothes that the, well, the, girl, the Paul Newman guy wears. Yeah, he's and great. also the dresses that the, the, that dresses the girls she wears. Wearing. And that crazy that, red... Um, oh, the the red bathrobe, all red right? Bath the red bathrobe, the bad guy, the bad guy, guy wears. I want that. I love <laughs> oh, the, the, that bathrobe. That's like a Franco Guerrero bathrobe, oh, all right, yeah. black and red. Right. Oh. <laughs> did we already do cinematography? No, we didn't. No, actually. we did not. I think that would probably go to Amphibian Man too. Well, except that the DP of um, Hennessy, Ernest Stewart. Uh, oh yeah, did such an amazing job matching. And you have to think about, like, he's got to match everything so that by the end of the movie, it's going to seamlessly cut together with their found footage. And so that is, 
I mean, okay, I, I've, but gone, then I've okay, gone back okay. and forth on this yeah, because look, I've gone back and forth on this. You're making a great case, and I'm ready to give it to him for that case alone. However, the amphibian man photography is so good that it can be shown in complete color. It can be yeah. shown. 16 millimeter black and, and 16 white. 16 millimeter, 2%, uh, 2% color, and practically uh, <laughs> sepia. Yeah. All right. And it can be shown in black and white on television. Yeah. And it survives all, all versions. Yeah, I'll go with that. that, that you just convinced me. I mean, mm-hmm. that that is the absolute truth of it, is that it's... Uh, and it, it, it's magical it's, in every version. It survives. And it, it was so powerful watching it visually. And mm-hmm. you're right, we were watching... Uh, and also the underwater sequences are beautiful. Yeah. Well, there's that one shot where you were looking down toward the bottom mm-hmm. of the ocean and we see Amphibian Man way down low and then suddenly he swims oh, upward. Oh, yeah. And the well, that's a true submariner shot. Yeah. Oh, it was incredible. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like it was just a, such a beautiful shot, and how close he came to the camera as he lifted up. It was like yeah. an airplane, like zooming past. It was great. So yeah, the underwater photography was beautiful. Okay, well, I think that wraps it up for us. Uh, uh, I'm Quentin Tarantino. I'm and, Gala Avery, and I'm Roger Avery, and we're saying goodbye for another exciting episode of the Video Art Guys podcast. Be kind, rewind. Bye-bye. See you next time. Das Wiedernjekon. We are officers and brothers, every race and creed. And we stand beside each other in every cause and deed. The Video Archives podcast is hosted by Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery and produced by Josh Richman and Gala Avery. Our engineer is Devin Torrey Bryant, and our executive producers are Colin Anderson and Natalie Muellam. Find out more about the show by heading to videoarchivespodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Video Archives and on Instagram at Video Archives Pod. Despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact the issue is very near and dear to my heart. Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives? I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's projectavery.org. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 